Everybody, welcome to another episode of Adela Marcy Unplugged. As always, I'm your host, Adela Marcy, and today we are sponsored by purelyhosting.com forward slash Adela, your place to get your hosting, good uptime, good support, and of course, when you get the domain and the package, they build your site for you, so it's really, really cool. Also today, we're sponsored by Dayan.com. That's D-A-I-Y-A-N.com. His name is like stupidly hard sometimes to spell because like my friends always get it wrong. It's links below the podcast episode. You'll see it. And biz, that's B-I-Z-Z dot co. So biz.co also sponsors today on the podcast. Head on over to both those sites to get some really cool insights on a really cool guy that I'm really happy to call my friend and brother, really. And uh, biz.co is his new startup. And this guy's just going to be killing it in the next 12 months. It's like ridiculous. So make sure you watch everything he does and emulate as much of it as you can. Dayan, I'm going to let you introduce yourself because, oh my God, I can probably sit here and gush over you for like an hour. So I'll let you just jump on and do one <laughs> thing. Hey, man, how's it going? Pretty good, man. Thank you for doing this. I know you're out in Singapore right now. Dude, yeah, um, I wasn't planning on being in Singapore. So, I mean, long story short, I got a bit bored of London. Um, 2014 was a tough year for me, so I thought I need a, I need, just need a fresh change, and so I sold everything that I owned. Uh, I got rid of my swanky apartment in London. In fact, you're in that apartment. Yeah, I, I moved <laughs> into your apartment. You got rid of your apartment to me, so. Right. Yeah. Well, I transferred it to you. There we yeah, go. So I transferred much. my apartment to you, and uh, you know, I, I still love that apartment. I really miss that apartment. But, uh, but yeah, I, I sold everything, transferred the apartment over to you, and I bought a one-way ticket to Bangkok. And I thought initially that, you know what, I'll probably spend a month or a few months in Bangkok because I've heard great things about it. And everyone said it's great for entrepreneurs. It's got a great entrepreneur community. It's very cheap to live there and stuff. And I thought that sounds great. What they don't tell you is that it's hot and humid as crazy. There's mosquitoes. It's dirty. It's messy. It's very congested. And man, I was super uncomfortable. So after four days, I decided to take a plane to Bali instead. Yeah, because I'd heard great things about Bali too. Um, though Bali, I, it was okay. It was relaxing in in some aspects, but I actually thought it was a bit overrated too. In the sense that it's very tourist driven now. Most of it's been ruined by tourism. Um, so there's nothing that's that characteristic about it being Indonesian in a, in the tourist areas. It mm-hmm. just looks like any other city in the world that's been there, just like a party city, basically, kind of like Ibiza or Magaluf or Cancun. Okay. Um, uh, and there are some nice areas like Ubud's and I spent a few weeks there, but man, the, the, the internet there is no good, so I couldn't get any work done. Um, and uh, I thought, man, I need to just find a city where I can get some work done, I have a good internet connection, I'm not being bitten by mosquitoes every day, I just need something like that. And so I picked Singapore just for a couple of days. I thought I'll go there for a couple of days, get my head together, um, get some work done, and then I'll decide what to do next. But the moment I arrived in Singapore, I was like, screw it, I'm staying here a month at least. And now a month's passed and I'm going to stay here for another three months. Um, That's cool. Well, yeah, it's, 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 hard to say, it's hard to describe. It's kind of like this utopia. Um, Singapore is, like imagine if some people got into a room together and said, how do we build the perfect city? And they kind of did that. That's actually what happened. Lee Kuan Yew, who's the guy that was uh, running Singapore 50 years ago and kind of was the uh, guy that started all of these big changes, he wanted Singapore to be the first world in the third world area. In other words, the first world within Asia. And he's managed to pull it off. I mean, Singapore has the lowest crime rates in the world, has the best education system in the world. Um, it's the cleanest country in the world. 
Uh, if you go walk on the street, it's unbelievable. It feels like you're on a movie set all the time because there's nice. just no litter, no dirt. There's no chewing gum marks because chewing gum's illegal. Um, really? It really feels like you're on a yeah. It's, it's highly illegal. You get high, heavy fines if they catch you with chewing gum. Wait, just um, chewing chewing gum or just just in general? Is it like you know if you have chewing gum in your pocket, that's an illegal thing or what? I'm pretty sure that's illegal too. You'd have to have Holy a prescription from a doctor to have chewing Holy gum. Holy crap, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It's hilarious. Yeah, because I don't um, chew gum, so it's just like it's utopia for me in that sense. Because yeah, me just, neither, me neither. I'm like, this is this is perfect. Like, <laughs> so good. I find people that chew gum annoying sometimes when they're trying to have a conversation and yeah, they're chewing gum all the time. Where's like, that, as soon as that exactly. happens, I'm just like, dude, I'm just gonna slap you so hard in a moment. Please stop. I know, right? And doing it. Yeah. So that doesn't happen here. It's illegal. It's highly well. There's a three hundred dollar fine for it. Holy crap! Um, yeah, I don't want to and same with if you are smoking in non-designated areas. So even outdoors, you can't just smoke anywhere because um, they don't want it to be too polluted. So you have to like go to these designated smoking areas, which is great for me because I don't smoke either. Yes, yeah, so, um, that's great. I think that's perfect. Yeah. And uh, it's it's it feels really safe here. That's what I love about it. It feels like this futuristic city that's almost too perfect. It feels really safe. Like I was walking home from a club at four a.m. last night. And there's nothing that could go wrong. And it's funny, you'll go on the MRT system, which is the equivalent of the London Underground Tube, except it's air-conditioned and really clean. Oh. Um, and you go there, and no one clutches onto their purse or their briefcase because they know that no one steals here. It's basically um, what Dubai was like 10 years ago, if you remember, right? Like Dubai was yes. just this place, and then all of Correct. a sudden it just got that's, really touristy. And then now the crime That's a great bumped. comparison. Yeah. Yeah, that's so, a great comparison. The only difference being that Dubai is a lot more spread out, so you need a car in Dubai, whereas Singapore is a lot more like London in the sense that you can walk everywhere. That's good, because I remember there was a comedian, I think it was Mars Giobrani, going on about how like he was in the Dubai Mall, and I've been to the Dubai Mall, and it he wasn't kidding. It's like three miles long. You have taxis on the inside of the mall yeah, just to get you from one that. shop to the other, and you're like, what the hell? Yeah, it's, it's just it's stupidly big. Yeah. Like it's so big that shops start repeating themselves. So you can go to the H and M store on one side of the mall or the other side of the mall. Why not just make it smaller and have one store? <laughs> Tell me about it, right? It's like there's two Apple shops in the Dubai Mall. I know that much. There's like yeah. one on each side, and you're like, really? It's like, yeah, it's three miles apart. It, it there, there has to be a second shop. Starbucks yeah. make I mean, Dubai that. seems to be in a crazy ego contest. They're like, oh, we've got the biggest aquarium and the biggest mall in the world. It's like, why do you need this stuff, man? What's it? You just, <laughs> yeah. you just reminded me again of, again, another comedian from the Axis of Evil comedy tour, Ahmed Ahmed. Just big shout out to him because he's hilarious. He literally came out where he goes, uh, the Amir, the guy that runs Dubai, he got asked, why is this a seven-star building? He goes, because I said it's a seven-star building. <laughs> That's just his attitude because I said it. <laughs> Yeah, that's actually true though, because there's no such thing as a seven-star rating. Yeah, and you just the maximum is five stars, so they just call themselves a seven-star <laughs> hotel, and therefore just accept it. <laughs> Again, marketing lesson there: name yourself it, make it grandiose enough, and no one will argue with you. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I've been to that. I haven't stayed in that hotel because the price is ridiculous. But we um, were invited there as guests one time because our family friends were staying there. And it wasn't that like amazing. It felt really weird. In fact, like everything's plated in gold. Yeah. Inside, it feels a bit weird. Like if you're not from that kind of environment, if you haven't been brought up in that environment, you don't feel like it's a natural environment to be in where everything's plated in gold. I think it's kind Donald of Trump, tacky. I think Trump was like the guy behind the design for that because you know Trump Tower, everything is in gold in his apartment. Right, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, because that guy's like uh, at one point he called himself Midas, if I remember correctly. Just mm. I, that that was just that could have been just a rumor, but like I wouldn't I wouldn't put past in the amount of stuff he has in his apartment. It's just gold. Like there's photos online of it. I'm like, that's 
we could melt your apartment and probably pay for a whole project in New York. That's that's basically what we're yeah. saying. And that would be. Do you, I mean, do you think gold looks good? I, I no, no, no. For, for me, it's right. like gold looks good on women to a certain degree, but for me, it's silver and platinum. I just think those are. Right, more, me too. Yeah. It's it's like the uh, watches thing. I was with a friend of mine in um, Selfridges. We went down to see mm -hmm. uh, look at some watches and stuff, and. Um, I, I usually just wear one watch because I just love it because it's universal. It transcends both my sporty look and my businessy look. Right, me um, too. Yeah, it's always the best thing. But I think you've got like a silver brace thing, haven't you? It's like, um, it's not leather. Yes. It's, yeah. See, those to me, they can look good on the right person. You, it suits. Me, it doesn't suit. I have to have like a leather strap instead. Right. But again, it's down yeah. to like, it's the subtleties. And I think gold is kind of a little bit, I'm going to I don't think gold suits anyone, man. Yeah, Unless you're a really like good hip hop rapper, it does not suit you. <laughs> or Mr. T. <laughs> or Mr. T. Right, exactly. I think, yeah, I think it's just sil it's silver and platinum. Unless you're of. black, don't wear a gold watch, is what we're trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that is so bad and hilarious, but so true. Like, really but it's true. true. I'm, I'm sorry, it just doesn't look good on anyone else. It just looks tacky, it looks, it looks cheap or it looks fake, but... It, on on black rappers or Mr. T, it looks amazing. It looks like you know that's yeah. It, to, for them, it kind of just shows I have wealth. Whereas to everyone else, it's kind of like I'm trying too hard. It's a bit yeah. try hard. I mean, I think subtleties actually work with everything. But yeah, anyway, sorry. So, so you're out in you're out in Singapore. You're there. It's an amazing city. There's an illegal illegality on chewing gum and cigarettes, which is amazing. Yeah. So you're setting up your company there, aren't you? Um, not quite. Um, I've actually incorporated it in the U.S. because most of our customers will be in the U.S. And, and you know, to fill people on what it is, um, basically the problem is that business education is really expensive. I mean, I mean education in general is becoming expensive. Yeah. Uh, to do any degree in the U.K., literally any degree, will cost you uh, fifty-six thousand pounds in terms really? of student debt. Wow. Yeah, it's insane because they increase the fees, right? Yeah. Um, that's about uh, ninety thousand U.S. dollars. Um, if you want to do a business degree, it's even more expensive. And in the U.S., if you want to do an MBA, you'll leave with a student debt of around one hundred and sixty thousand dollars. So about right? that's grand. what we're dealing. With. Exactly. I mean, this is an insane amount of money. Um, and the other problem is that a lot of people that go to business school go there with the intention that they're going to learn how to build their own business. Hmm. Right. That's the, that's what you'd think you'd learn from a name like business school, and that is why a lot of people join. Now, not everyone joins for that reason, and that's okay. But a lot of people do. And unfortunately, business schools don't teach you how to start your own business. That's not what they, they are designed to teach. Um, they teach a lot of theory. They teach a lot of things that might be useful within a corporation or within a managerial role at a corporation. They don't teach you how to be an entrepreneur. They don't teach you how to start your own business. They don't teach you how to hire people or how to build your first website or how to run Facebook ads. None of that stuff is taught. And so if you want to learn that stuff, you can't learn it at a business school. So you have to kind of teach yourself. Right, and to teach yourself, you have to attend seminars, you have to read books, you have to buy video courses. You have to buy One a lot of bad costly. and buy a lot exactly. of bad courses and search through the shit to find good stuff. I think we've both been there, exactly. really. We've both been through that, right? Where we just bought scam after scam, and eventually we found our way. But it cost us a lot of money, and it took, it took a lot of time too. I think time was so actually not, more of the worst investment on it because, like, you can't get that back. Money you can get back, time you really correct. can't. Exactly. I mean, I started when I was 13 reading up on this stuff and it's taken me at least 10 years to figure that stuff out, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, like, time is the, is the biggest factor. But money too, because not everyone can afford all of these courses. 
And a lot of them aren't that great. I mean, you've, you've seen some of them and you've been through some of them and a lot of them are you know, pricing a lot of money. Essentially, they're run by people who just want to get rich selling courses. Mm-hmm. They're not being created by people who are trying to really genuinely help people with their business. And so I think this is a big problem. And I thought, oh, there must be some people trying to solve this problem. And there isn't, okay? There are some free education sites like Coursera um, and there are some paid education sites like lynda.com. Um, and Team Treehouse Right, so Team Treehouse, they teach coding, right? They, they focus on coding. No one's focused on entrepreneurship and business. Hmm. Um, and so I thought, you know what, this is my passion. This is what I'm really passionate about. This is something that I really want to change. I really want to lower the cost of business education for people, make it more, um, you know, democratize it in a way. Um, and just make it easier for people to have that option of learning how to be an entrepreneur and learn how to do all the business things. Or if they already have a business, Learn some extra things like, okay, how do we get more customers using Facebook ads? How do we do email marketing? How do we hire really great people and things like that? And so Biz is going to be that site where you can get all of these courses on business and marketing and rather than it costing $160,000, it will cost less than the price of a coffee a day, like about 30 bucks a month to yeah. begin with. And that's actually um, a really good price range as well to have because I know that it's not just you running it because... Um, that obviously, I think you and I spoke about this, but I'm going to be helping out with bits and pieces there. You've got some really great yep. guys helping out with the um, other side of business as well. Because, like, just for a little known fact for people that listen to my podcast that don't really know who Dayan is, Dayan is, um, as much as I like to go around saying that I am the greatest living copywriter since Gary Halbert, Dayan's probably the closest comparison to how good I get. Like, honest to God, like, if there was a problem I have with copy, I can't figure out a headline. I just message him and he gets back to me like, this is shit, change this. Like, literally, that's... <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> literally, that is the thing. I respect your opinion because I remember when we were doing... When I was launching... Um, when I was going to launch the Copy Lab, I didn't in the end. I, I put it on the back burner because of other projects. But when I was about to launch mm-hmm. that, I remember we sat in this very apartment I'm in right now that used to be yours and now is mine. Um, and I remember that, yeah. Yeah, we literally sat down and went through... Um, I think your exact words were, this is a bullshit headline, you know it is, you can do better than this, change it to this, and you're ready to go. I'm like, all right, cool, let's do that. And you're like, yeah, how did that convert? Much better. <laughs> I think I was a bit nicer than that, but, but essentially that was the main message. Yeah. Well, yeah, you were nicer <laughs> That's to, what I was trying to I, say. I think the only reason you were nice to me that day was because we were like about to, we, we wanted to roll for a little bit, do a little jiu-jitsu, and you're like, this guy's going to mess Oh, yeah, you're going to, yeah. <laughs> yes, so we were going to do that for the day. But um, that, that's, you know a lot more about mixed martial arts than I do because you've actually competed in it. <laughs> yeah. But just a back. So I don't want to piss you off. He says that, but I'm actually like the. It's really weird. He's making me sound like a bad person just because I threatened to kick his ass once over a game of chess. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. That didn't happen. He did beat, beat me at chess, which I've been getting better at. Damn it! When you get back here, we're playing. We have to play online at least, man. Yeah, definitely. If you, if you think you're getting better, you should definitely do that. Well, let me. Let I play chess a lot. Plus, the world's smartest people play, like Bill Gates and Peter Thiel and Richard Branson. They all love chess. Forget don't and Jay Z. Don't forget Arnold Schwarzenegger as well. Arnie's amazing. Oh, he does. Yeah, the guy's like a ch- like a lot of people don't know this, but the guy's like a mastermind with chess. Like um, every morning, he plays like forty-five minutes of chess uh, every morning, and then goes back to work. For him, it's his break. No way, I did not know that. Yeah, uh, he said it on is Ferris's it? podcast, because him and Tim Ferriss did a podcast. Oh, sweet. Yeah. I'm uh, halfway through the podcast. Yeah, um, just a sidetrack here with uh, Arnie. Like, who are, your three, who are your three top action movie heroes when you are growing up? Um, Jackie Chan. Yeah, obviously. Definitely one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of mine was... Uh, 
uh, Van Damme because my dad used to put on Van Damme movies. Yeah. And no, none of my friends knew who Van Damme was. And I was like, you've not seen this film with Van Damme? And they're like, The no. Kickbox, uh, um, Double, Double Impact, that's another one. Just great movies, man. Yeah, I, I don't remember the names of his films. They're all a blur to me because see, I'd seen so many. And same with Jackie Chan. Jackie Chan and Van Damme, I'd seen so many that all of them are just like a big blur. Um, so I don't remember the names of the films. The one Jackie Chan film that does stand out is Who Am I? Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, Jackie Chan, Van Damme, and oh, who's the third one? Hmm, I'm not sure actually. I can't think of a third one. Maybe Jet Li. I was really into the um, the martial arts movies. Yeah. That's probably why those three stand out so much to me in particular. Like Jackie Chan, Jet Li, and Van Damme. And I used to watch a lot of Bruce Lee movies too because my dad used to give me the videotapes for those. Same. Um, I used, I used so I was like the only kids that used to watch it because none of my friends even knew who that was. Like, it was before their time. Yeah. It was before my time too, but my dad had introduced me to it. Yeah, same. I think that was, Bruce Lee was one of the first guys I watched, but for me it was Arnie, Stallone, and Van Damme, like the three big guys for me during like when I was growing up. It's kind of right, weird because yeah. like um, The Kickboxer is still one of my favorite movies. I'm just surprised they've got George St. Pierre actually Playing, they're, they're rebooting it with George St. Pierre in it. Oh, yeah? yeah. Oh, sweet. Uh, Van Damme and actually, GSP and Van Damme actually sparred, like, full contact. It wasn't, like, playing around. They were actually sparring full contact. Um, Did you see that picture of Anderson Silva and GSP in the, in the ring after having sparred? Did they spar? Was that John Jones? I think that was John Jones. No, nope, so John Jones and Anderson Silva did too. But uh, let me just find this what picture. The hell? Uh, There's a picture of G I did not know GSP and Anderson. They only came out today, I think. Um, yeah, because you're ahead of me in time. Uh, <laughs> that's true, actually. It's morning for you, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's still uh, like 9.30 in the morning. I've been up since like 6 in the morning, so I don't mind so much. But it's fun. Here we go. I found, I found it. Uh, let me see. Oh, wait. There it is. Yeah, I've seen it. I, I know which one you're on about. Because I didn't go to that one. I went to uh, Middle Easy. <laughs> Happened. So there's just a, a picture of them just standing by the ring after having disbarred. And there's no footage of it from what I know so far. But. Yeah, it should be good. But I think this is like the fight everyone really wanted to watch happen at one point. And just because I know there'll be people listening to your podcast that won't know what the hell we're talking about. These two are considered to be two of the best mixed martial artists. Um, if anyone watches like UFC, Ultimate Fighting Championship, these two guys, GSP, George St. Pierre and Anderson Silva, two of the best to ever fought in that. And, I, yeah, they sparred. I would actually add, say, like GSP, my only gripe with GSP was he was amazing, like as an athlete, but... Um, the only downside was that he laid and prayed after he got knocked out by uh, Matt Serra a couple of years ago. Like, if you look at anything before the knockout that happened to him, um, he was knocking yeah. out dudes left, right, and center. Like, he went in there for war. And then after he lost, like, he got submitted by Matt Hughes, and then he got knocked out by Matt Serra. And that was it. From then on, he yeah. just played it really safe. Whereas Anderson, um, for the people that don't know, uh, he's, like, again, considered the greatest living martial artist there is of our time. Because, um, I mean, yeah. he's in a little bit of trouble right now. We're going to see what happens because nothing's been officially released. <laughs> and we'll talk about that in a moment. But yeah. Anderson, um, like the reason... Yeah, he's like the Lionel Messi of, of MMA. Like when you watch much. him, it's just... All it's like power. you're not even watching a human being. Uh, yeah, exactly. You're not even watching a human. The things that he does, like he's ducking, doing the kind of ducks you saw in the Matrix movie when Neo's dodging bullets. Uh, that's what it looks like when Anderson Silva's in the ring. The Forest. I remember Griffin the one thing. where he fought Forrest Griffin. Yeah, that one. Yeah, have you seen that was the, insane. Have you seen the slow mo of it? Like the way he did it. Like yes, the slow mo. 
the angle from the side where it looks it looks like it's in the matrix <laughs> yeah, you can just see him dodging punches like what what's going on here and i think forrest did a, a a radio call where someone said what happened with you and anderson Silva, and this is like two years after uh, it happened I remember and this um, I think Forrest Griffin, who has a great sense of humor, literally comes out with saying, "He's like at, when he when I was punching him, he just moved his head out of the way, and there was almost like a look on his face that says, did you try and punch me, you slow, slow white boy?' <laughs> just what are you doing?' <laughs> but, yeah, he said it was like trying to spar with his dad. <laughs> <laughs> the level of indifference. Um, Chris Lieben, who was yeah. the first victim of Anderson Silva in the UFC, who got knocked out in forty nine seconds of the first round, which. By the way, Chris Lieben, no joke, tough as nails, but like it was crazy how he got knocked out. He was interviewed last mm. year by Baz Rutten, again, another MMA legend. Um, and he, he got asked, who hit you the hardest? He goes, well, outside the ring, it's my dad. But in the ring, I'd say Anderson Silva. And he was like, why? He goes, well, I fought Anderson on the Saturday. I remember waking up on the Tuesday, uh, calling up my management and saying, hey, when are we going to Vegas? And they're like, why? It's like, I've got a fight in like two days, haven't I? And they're like, dude, that was last week. You were back in Hawaii. What happened? Because I don't remember a thing oh, between. Geez. Yeah, he literally could not remember anything from uh, the post-fight conference. Like he couldn't remember any of the fights. So the build-up to the fight was the last thing he remembers: getting on the plane to Vegas, and uh, until Tuesday, he just couldn't remember a single thing. And it was like we didn't drink, didn't do anything, just could not remember because he hit wow. me that hard. And if you if you watch the video, it's a destruction. Whoa, that's insane. It's a destruction fight. Yeah, I, I remember the fight very well, but I don't remember. I, yeah, I've never heard him say that. That's insane. Yeah. I mean, again, this is why he's known as the greatest, because he always used to go in there just to mix it up with people. He was like, oh, okay, I'm going to knock you out because I want to, or I'm going to make you look like a fool. And that eventually caught up with if him. You go to, um, if you go to YouTube.com and just type in Anderson Silva. Yeah, watch the, the second the, the second result is called Anderson Silva Highlights, the greatest mixed martial artists of all time, and brackets 2015. Um, it's got 600,000 views. My cousin edited that video. Really? Wow. Yeah, he's 16, right? And he was asking me, like, you know, he wants to be able to make money and he's only 16 or he's actually 15 when he did that. And I said to him, have you tried, you know, just like expanding your skills like web design and video editing? And so he, he was fascinated by video editing. And so I taught him a bit and I didn't like think he'd be that great at it, but I thought he's just starting out. He's going to learn about it. And he, he took it up and within like just a few weeks, he produced that Anderson Silva highlights video because well, he loves Anderson Silva. So I got him into UFC, right? And I said to him, "What? Like, there's no good highlight videos of Anderson Silva. So if you can make a really good one, I'm sure it'd do really well." And he did it, and it shocked me. I was like, "Dude, this is insanely good. You have no idea how good this video is." Send me the and link. And now it's got six hundred thousand. Yeah, I'll send it to you in Skype. Yeah, what I'll do is I'll put the link on uh, underneath this uh, when we post this uh, on the website. I'll put it on there as well, so it'll be good just to have it on. So yeah, that's show. my uh, that's my little cousin, man. His first cousin is uh, name's Riaz. Um, Sweet. Yeah, really super smart kid. Yeah. And uh, I think he's going to go far too because he's getting into entrepreneurship and web design too. Yeah, now. and he's got you as a cousin, so you know that's always a good thing to have. <laughs> but but to backtrack, the reason why I actually ask who your three greatest um, action heroes are because I actually love reading people's biographies on how they actually come up to where they are. And um, right, the the two most like all three Van Dam, um, Stallone, and uh, Schwarzenegger all have like really interesting stories like. Arnie first, like a lot of people don't know this, Arnie made a million dollars before he actually had his career break in acting. Like he did, Right, through he, real estate. Yeah, through real estate and um, mail order. He actually used to send out mail order. Like he was an info marketer. He was an actual info marketer. He used to write pamphlets on how to get healthy and sell it through direct mail. 
Yeah, I didn't know that until I listened to the Tim Ferriss podcast recently. Yeah. yeah. I was like, what, really? Like, he was like a Tony Robbins selling fitness stuff. <laughs> yeah, like way before. Like, in the yeah, genuinely was. 70s and then um, Stallone. His was like actually really interesting to me because Stallone had, um, he had a few minor roles. I mean, the whole softcore porn thing that a lot of people don't know about. If you don't know what it is, look up Italian Stallion, which they renamed after the Rocky release. Um, his words were, I was down to the end of the line where I was literally sleeping at a bus shelter in New York um, and they paid me mm. only $200 to do that. So it's like, it was either that or starve. And I was like, right, I might as well just do this. It's a small appearance, it's 200 bucks. Get out of the way, it feeds wow. me. Um, and then of course they mistook him for another actor when they were trying to cast Rocky. Um, it was someone else. And then they tried to get Travolta to play Rocky and that wouldn't have worked. And of course, Twitter, <laughs> can you imagine that? Oh man, that would be so weird, so weird. Especially because <laughs> of like Saturday Night Fever. Imagine if they switch, switch, switched roles. You have Rocky as Saturday Night Fever, and you have um, Travolta as Rocky. That would be so weird. That, 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 that would be really bizarre. <laughs> that, that, it wouldn't work quite. I mean. I guess Travolta could maybe pull off the Rocky role, but Stallone would not be able to pull off <laughs> Saturday Night Fever. I don't think so either. But I bet you in some alternate... Or Greece. Or, yeah. Some alternate universe that has happened. You never know. It just could happen. It's the laws <laughs> of eventuality. We don't really know what goes on out there. But um, what's really interesting is it took them 20... It took him... If he wrote the script in three days um, for Rocky, mm. and then he cast it in 28... Like, cast, production, and ready to go in 28 days. Like, from start to finish, they did everything in one take. It's ridiculous. Wow. Yeah, I mean, um, it was interesting because, uh, again, I was watching this. I, such I, a great film. That is that is phenomenal. 28 Days for such an amazing... But, I mean, the story is amazing on that film. The yeah. first one, that is. Oh, all of them, really. If you, if you look at it, it's kind <laughs> of... It cycles through Stallone's career as well as an actor because, you know, Rocky's his first big break right. again for Rocky was his and then you know the second one he gets some bigger chance and then the third one he's kind of got a little bit comfortable and the fourth one it's like more political and the fifth one is kind of like it's it has to just be made uh, for that reason again the sixth one came out to just really cap it off because the fifth one was so horrible like down about you by sixth one was the Rocky Balboa one right Where yeah yeah I think that was a lot of people don't know this but he actually sparred with Antonio Tarva during that like all the punches are real like they're not they're not like camera angles. Those are real punches he's taken to the face. Oh wow! Yeah, he actually uh, the busted uh, up. That face. one that film actually stands out a lot because of that speech he gave to his uh, you know his son in the movie, not his real son, but his whoever who plays his son. Uh, uh, Milo, oh, it doesn't matter. Milo something. He, he yeah he the guy wrote, from the guy from Heroes. But yeah um yeah he gives that speech. He's like you you gonna get hurt to beat somebody and all that stuff. I'm like that's an epic speech and that's why I remember that film. Yeah it's the it whole, ain't like, about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you get hit and keep moving forward. It's a win of the time. Like jeez calm down dad. <laughs> yeah pretty much. Yeah, it's, great. It's it's an iconic movie series and again there's a lot of um, uh, a friend of mine that's an old entrepreneur who's like forty something years old. He's in real estate in Dubai no less. He gave me this advice, and it's something that I'm going to give to everyone that's listened to this podcast. I'm sure you'd agree. You don't really know the scope of how much of an impact your skills bring. That's one. And two, um, study great people in order to become great right. yourself. I think you, you yeah. left me three boxes full of books, and I've been like sorting them out so I can read them in, in time. Seriously, there's two yeah. boxes still left out in the bedroom because I, I have no place to put them. 
Oh shit! Sorry, man. <laughs> no, don't worry about it. It's not a bad thing. I'm getting a book, another bookcase. I'm gonna find a place to put the, the bookcase. I can actually, you know, set up shop there as well. Seriously, guys. Um, if you're ever yeah. in London, just you know, swing on by. Give me a shout out. We'll do something. But it's it was insane. But moving on, back to like the whole thing that we were talking about, like with entrepreneurship with your cousin. Well, I mean, just gone. Yes. No, go on. Dude. No, no, go on. You were saying? No, no, you go. So I was going to say just uh, on the movie thing, uh, Harrison Ford has a really interesting story too. Really? Um, a strange person to pick, but I read it recently and the way he got his big break was he was building doors for the Star Wars movie set. George Lucas had hired him as a carpenter, right? And they uh, asked him to read the lines to the female actors so, you know, in place while they tried to pick a Harrison Ford. He was just reading the lines that were reading. And he was so good at reading it that they gave him the role for Harris for Han Solo. Wow! And that's how he got his big break. You believe that? That's, <laughs> that's insane, amazing. right? Just a side note for. I was like, wow! Just for like, Star he's Wars. He's just a carpenter. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's like ridiculous how you get big breaks. It's like um, Terry Crews, you know, the big muscle dude. Mm -hmm. He got his break yeah, by being. Um, he was working security for a movie lot. That, that's literally what right. he was doing and he got his break because someone said hey you come over here and uh, say this line with me and he did and he liked it so much that the guy that he was talking to I think it was Ice, Ice Cube was doing it and Ice Cube was like I like you I want to put you in the next movie that we do which is Friday After Next um, that was his like right. initial break in but it's funny you should say that have you ever heard the story of how uh, Samuel L. Jackson ended up on the Star Wars movie Roll Call like do you know how he even did it uh, probably because George Lucas got a lot of complaints for not having enough black people in the Star Wars franchise. That could be. That would actually be, I've never noticed that. Because yeah, that was a real thing too. They're like, you had one black guy in the original Star Wars. This is not on. And so they casted Samuel Jackson to balance it out. Actually, That's it was, what I've heard. No, the actual uh, story was he was on the Chris Evans show, and um, you know, I know Chris Evans or Chris Moles, one of the guys. It was like uh, on a back then. I think it was Chris Evans. He was still doing the thing. The ginger dude, the radio DJ that was ginger. Um, yeah, I remember him. Yeah. yeah. So Looks like were, Chicken Little has glasses. Yeah, pretty much. He was married to Billy Piper. What the hell's up with that? That was a bit weird. Um, <laughs> She's married to a lot of people. She went out with Jason Statham too. So Yeah, pretty much. But um, what ended up happening was quite <laughs> interesting was he was interviewing Samuel Jackson for another movie. I can't remember which one it was. And um, Chris Evans being a big geek, he was like, oh, he goes, so what do you think about Star Wars? Because they were shooting Star Wars. They were like casting and directing Star Wars in the next studio over. And um, mm. he was like, oh, we got to break this all down because Star Wars coming and set up in here as well. And he was like, oh, okay. He goes, so if he goes, what would you like to say to George? Like, would you want a part in the movie? He goes, of course I want a part in the movie. And he goes, what would you want? He goes, this is your pitch. Say it right now. We'll air it. And uh, Samuel Jackson in Samuel Jackson fashion looks directly into the camera and goes, George, uh, get, me on, get me on to um, the Star Wars movie. I want to be a Jedi master. Oh, and I want to have a lightsaber as well. That was literally what he said. No way. Two days later, gets a phone call from George saying, we've got your purple lightsaber. Can you get down to the studio? That was literally how he got the phone. Wow. Didn't even audition. That is one bad motherfucker, man. That is a bad motherfucker. That's how he did it. Um, actually, wow. just a side note here as well. Could you imagine if Pulp Fiction was actually made with Stallone and, and Samuel Jackson instead of Travolta? That would be a really weird I image. can actually. No, that, that would, that, no, I can imagine that. Because Travolta's role in Pulp Fiction is, is kind of like a bit weird, a bit lame. So I could totally imagine Stallone filling that role too. True, but then again... Because he shoots himself, right? I remember John Travolta, is it she shoots himself or shoots the 
No, no, he shoots someone by accident. In the yeah, car. he shoots someone in the back of the head of the car when uh, and Samuel Jackson yeah, freaks and, out at him. Yeah, so I could totally see Stallone doing that mistake because uh, he could, yeah, totally play the the kind of aloof guy. Yeah, yeah I think so. But then again, again, it still wouldn't look right in my head because at that point, Stallone would be about forty-five, fifty years old. So. Well, that's that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, he's like, can you believe he's like sixty-nine years old and he's like ripped. Fucking ripped. He's sixty nine. He's sixty nine years old. No, get out, really? Yeah, He's... when he did Rocky Four, I think he was thirty five years old. When he, when Dolph Lundgren basically hit him so hard in the chest that his heart engorged. Shit, you're right. Yeah. He's sixty eight. Jesus Christ, man, that's old. How old is Arnold? He must be uh, around the same age. About the same age. Yeah, around the same age. Sixty seven. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But with Arnold, you can. He's starting to look that age. Uh, he still looks younger than his age, but he, he looks older than uh, Stallone. Yeah, Stallone's had some cosmetic work done to his face, but if you look at their bodies, like the way they, they're so ripped, it's ridiculous. They have like the bodies. Do you reckon Stallone's had muscle implants too? No, no, no. Stallone's had, uh, on, you know the weird veiny thing on his right bicep? Everyone thinks they take steroids for that. Um, it was actually mm-hmm. because he ripped that bicep, like he ripped that pictorial during Rocky too, And it's funny because... Um, Again, I was watching the Rocky saga, the whole story. You know how the whole plot line in Rocky Two is that I'm gonna fight him uh, orthodox, like with my left hand, oh, like with my left hand forward right. and my right hand, not southpaw. That wasn't in the mm-hmm. story. It was because during the training session leading up to the movie, Stallone actually ripped his entire like right pectoral and bicep like connection there. He just ripped it all over, open. Right. So he goes, I couldn't use my left, uh, my right hand all that much. So. Um, Mm. That's why we switched it over to make that part of the movie, but in reality, it wasn't in the script. We had to do it because of uh, circumstance. Yeah. Circumstance favors, right? But kind of like going off that, though, with success and stuff like that, right now you're traveling around the world, realistically. Like, where's your Mm -hmm. next destination? Are you just going to be like, I like Singapore, so I'm not really thinking ahead of this, or... Okay, so I mean, before I left London, I mean, we all try and plan things before we, you know, it's like I had an, uh, an idea of what I thought would be a good idea. And what I thought would be a good idea was building the business from a beach location, like, like Bali or like Thailand, you know, where it's tropical, nice scenery. Um, in reality, those places aren't that conducive to being productive, um, at least in my experience from having traveled these last few months. Um, one, they don't have good internet connections. Two, they don't have modern amenities, so your routine kind of, you can't have the best routine in the world. Um, Let me give you an example, right? Right now, I'm trying to bulk up at the same time whilst building the business, right? Um, And I've got a really good workout routine. I couldn't do that in Bali because you can't even buy the basic groceries you need in the supermarket. They don't have them. Uh, Gyms, like the nearest gym was like an hour away, hour drive away. Um, So... Whilst, you know, it sounds good on paper, this beautiful location on a beach with crystal blue skies and stuff, they're not that great for, for building a business in. And the other thing is that you don't meet the kind of driven entrepreneurs that you really need to meet if you want to build a successful startup, right? And everyone's definition of success is different. Um, but let me give you an example. In Bali, the kind of people I met were all people that wanted to make about three to $5,000 a month and that's all they wanted to make and they wanted to live on the beach for the rest of their life. And they, they took a very kind of relaxed attitude towards their business. And that's okay if that's what you want. Um, I'm trying to do something that's going to be disruptive to a big industry, right? The education industry and the business school industry and business training in general. 
and I couldn't stay motivated in that environment. Um, so whilst initially I thought, oh yeah, I'm just going to keep going to places like Thailand and Bali. Now that I'm in Singapore, I think I'm going to stick to cities. Um, so I'm going to spend three months in Singapore and the kind of people I'm meeting here are amazing. Uh, yesterday I was hanging out with one of the head recruiters at Yahoo. Um, and I happened to meet him just through uh, the head of a venture capital firm in Singapore who I met at a meetup.com event. Yeah. Those are the kind of people I'm meeting in Singapore, like just incredible people with a lot of influence, big networks. And so I think my next stop after Singapore will probably be America. Cool. Anywhere in particular? Like Because we will have uh, new, either New York or Santa Monica and LA. But I, I'm you know, leaning towards New York because I've already been, already been to LA before and I don't really like LA that much. Hmm. Um, San Francisco is on the cards too because now I've got a lot of contacts there and they're, they're all inviting me and saying they'll you know, yeah. be good for the business as well. Oh, definitely. So, um, Silicon yeah. Valley, so yeah, of course. Yeah, New York or San Francisco will probably be my next stop. Um, but yeah, that'll be after we've launched Biz and we'll probably launch Biz while I'm still in Singapore. Yeah. Cool, that's awesome. Like, especially because like, you did actually suggest meetup.com to me, which I've actually been using quite a bit to actually go find entrepreneurs and meet other people like-minded. It's just interesting. Yeah, dude, it's been amazing. It's kind of interesting, though, because um, without sounding like an arrogant prick, sorry if I sound like one on this, but um, when you're actually, when I'm actually in there, sometimes I just feel like you, you're you the smartest person in the room. Like, yeah, you'll ever, get that a lot. That happens to me up groups. Yeah, I just look at it. I'm like, really? Really? This guy's, because like, there's usually someone that speaks at these meetup things, the ones I go to at least, and I'm like, what they're mm -hmm. teaching is, isn't, viable like it's viable to a certain degree but it's so basic and i can see that everyone else is really intrigued in this yeah. crowd it really kind of yeah it's uh, like those free internet marketing events right yeah it's <laughs> where it's, they're just like these get rich quick people and everyone's just trying buying into their shit i mean the meetup group i went to in singapore wasn't like that it wasn't where someone was speaking it was just a gathering of people yeah and i think those kind of groups are kind of better and all it takes is meeting one cool person or one smart person um, even if like, the, let's say there's 60 people there and you consider 59 of them to not be smart. If just one of those people is a smart person. For example, uh, the, my first week here in Singapore, I went to a meetup.com event. It was called Singapore Expats. Um, 60 people showed up or so and uh, I spoke to pretty much everyone. Um, and everyone was really nice and friendly, but you know, I didn't feel like uh, any of these people would be people I'd spend, I'd have a long-term friendship, friendship with. But there was one guy I spoke to, his name was Samir. And he's the head of a venture capital firm here. And he was super cool, super smart guy. And we got talking and then we arranged plans to meet up again. Um, and that one connection, he's introduced me to this recruiter at Yahoo. He's introduced me to investors who want to invest in biz. And, you know, that's a great position to be in, even though I'm not accepting investment right now. Yeah. Um, the kind of people he's introduced me to and the kind of um, networks he's gotten me into. Just one guy, right, out of 60 people. That's all it takes. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm totally foregoing to things like meetup.com events and stuff like that. Sweet. Actually, I've got a question for you on this one, both personal because I want to know, but also because I think people will benefit with it. Uh, actually, it's two questions. One mm -hmm. is like, um, for people who are going to go, go over to your website, dayon.com, check out his post called, uh, the, the last post I did in 2014, which is about, I think it's called Broken or something like that. I can't remember the full title of the post. Oh, is. it was the three, the three life-changing lessons I learned from being broke broken and broken heart in 2014 yeah that was it because honestly i shared that and people loved it i've had like so many of my other friends share it from there on after but um 
they, I've got. You messages. know what? I got I got messages from friends of yours. In fact, um, yeah, yeah I, I saw some people shared it, and I was like, wait, how did you find this? And they said Adam Amasi. Yeah. So thanks for that, man. Oh, you're welcome, dude. It's good content, and I read it. And there's bits. Um, again, this is why I consider like Dan one of my closest, like a really good friend and close friend as well as like a bro is simply because um, he gets my sense of humor. Like we get each other's sense of humor mm. and senses. And the way that you write is very similar in the sense that you you, it, you do what I call edutainment. Like you educate through entertainment in your writing as well as your video work. Yes. Um, and this post, if you read it, there's something in there that you spoke about and literally two bits stand out to me that I remember that make me laugh. First one is, um, it's not funny because it happened. It's funny because you wrote about it the way you did. And that was uh, you waking up and feeling yeah. paralyzed. And the exact words, the exact words you said was like, "I feel like a breadstick just sat here." Oh no! It was I rolled off my bed like a breadstick. <laughs> that was to it. Grab my iPhone. Um, I could have moved. Yeah. And the worst part is because like the bed's still in the same place it was. I'm just thinking, how did he manage to do this? Because I would hit my head nine out of ten <laughs> times falling out of that bed. So he must have really, yeah. he must have really like had to fall over and. Ha- do it properly that was one the other one was uh which is what the question is going to be about is the taxes where you're like so tax is about this shit and you're supposed to do this double shit and then the third thing like (laughs) shit everywhere i was like yeah that's that's pretty accurate so how did you go about learning your taxes because um that's like a a lot of people including me for a very long time even till now i just pay an accountant to do mine from time to time um which is what i did i got a huge tax bill yeah yeah, not good. You're better off doing it yourself, so you can do write-offs. See, thankfully, my, my accountant's sneaky as fuck, and I'll tell you what he did uh, after the call and stuff. But go, like, go ahead, like, how did you figure out your whole taxes and how you're going to do them? Would you say go through the accounting route or do it yourself? Um, I, I mean, initially, I would probably hire an accountant to not, maybe not even do your taxes, but explain how, what, like, how accounting works. And that's the thing that my accountant was really good at, is he explained all this stuff that I never learned at university, Because right? I had an accounting module at my uh, university. I, I dropped out of university in the first year, but in that first year, there was an accounting module in this business degree. And um, I didn't understand any of it. And this accountant that I hired, he, was, he explained a lot of accounting to me. So that was one thing that I, I was really grateful for. And that, he explained all of that in like a free consulta- a consultation. Um, aside from that, um, I essentially learned by doing a lot of googling around on what's allowed and what isn't allowed. Basic questions like what is an allowable expense for a business in the UK? And then there are all these sites that will tell you what allowable expenses are. So I'd look at those lists and I'd be like, all right, so travel is a significant expense that is allowed. Um, For example, in 2014, I went to the US with my uh, client Haley Haley Quinn, who you've uh, you know, in fact, you've interviewed her as well. Yeah, of course. She's um, a, I think I'm getting on this podcast when she she's back this month as well. She was in Singapore recently as well, I think. No, she was in Bali. She's she in Bali. Yeah. Oh yeah, fair enough. Sri Lanka and Bali. Yeah, I'm going to be interviewing. I've got to reach out to an interviewer at some point this month, anyway. Right. So anyway, we went to uh, uh, L.A. and Vegas because she was invited to do a talk at what was called the PUA World Summit in Las Vegas. And there was a TV company that wanted to potentially do a TV show with her. And she wanted me to come with her to talk to these people. And so we went to L.A. and Vegas. And that is a business expense because I did that for the business. Um, and I didn't know that everything that you do whilst traveling can be considered a business expense. I don't um, think- so I learned things like that just I was, uh, bro, I was going to say, I don't think punking 3,000 people into believing that you're Jay-Z at a nightclub counts as a business expense, but 
you never know. <laughs> There's that video is still on my Instagram. Yeah, that, yeah. We'll share, 3, like go on Dayan's Instagram. What's your Instagram? Is it Dayan at the end? So Instagram.com slash Dayan? Uh, Instagram.com forward slash Dayan.com dot as in spot D-O-T. Yeah. Okay. Someone's Check. taken Dayan. Okay. Yeah. Check out Dayan.com slash D-O-T uh, C-O-M at the end. Seriously, just check, watch that video because... Uh, you have to go to the post from January 2014 to find the video of that, yeah. But it's pretty cool. But sorry, I was just going to say, so you've got your expenses there as well for travel and everything else. So yeah, I, I learned just essentially from Googling around, like, you know, what's an allowable expense? Because the reason my tax bill was so high, right, was because I didn't have any expenses. Because I'm someone that runs my business from a laptop. I, don't have, I didn't have employees at the time. Um, I didn't really have any business expenses. I didn't have an office because I worked from home. And so I didn't have any expenses and therefore my profits were ridiculously high and so I had a really, really high tax bill. Um, so by Googling the solution for that, like, you know, what could I have done to increase my expenses? You know, what are allowable expenses in the UK tax system? I found out, okay, travel is a considerable one that I should have put down that I didn't and that my accountant didn't know about and I had done some travel uh, that previous year too. Um, so travel was one of them. You can put down a percentage of your apartment if you're working from it. I didn't know that, but you can. Um, not all of the apartment, but if you work from your apartment, you can put down a percentage of that. So I learned that through Googling around and reading the HMRC documents. Mm -hmm. And so after all of this, after learning all of the different things I could have done as expenses, I thought, right, now how do I actually do the accounting and file my taxes? And in England, there is a software called Free Agent. Free Agent. So freeagent.com. And what it does is it will scan all of your bank statements and then it will, uh, you can then go through all of the transactions and you just click on the ones that are business related. And once you've done all of that, it will calculate all of the taxes that you owe for that year. It does all of the calculations for you. So literally, let's say you have a bank statement with like 100 transactions on it. You put it in, you can you know, export a CSV file and uh, upload it to it. You put it in, you go through it and you go, right, okay, that plane ticket business expense, this restaurant meal that I use my debit card for, obviously not a business expense. Um, the stationery I bought from Ryman's, this is business, but you just tick on the ones that are business expenses. It adds up all of your business expenses, then calculates the tax you owe, then allows you to actually file your taxes within the software. It's amazing. Oh, wow. um, so I did that. And so the previous, the, the year after I got that huge tax bill, I had a tax bill of almost close to zero because I had so many expenses um, and didn't make as much money as the previous year. Mm -hmm. um, so that's how, I, that's how I taught myself, essentially. Was, I mean, it's not the best answer, Googling around, but, but yeah, right, Googling around and then using softwares that make this easier for you. No, that's great, because I didn't know about freeagent.com. I mean, that's but, something I'm going to be using this year as well. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, people are, you know, I mean, it's designed this way. Taxes are designed in a way that you're supposed to be intimidated by them. Uh, one, so, you know, people pay their taxes on time and do them correctly, which you should, right? And two, so accountants can make lots of money. Right, it's the same. It's the same reason why uh, getting investment for a startup. There's all of this terminology that makes no sense, and all it's there for is to make lawyers a lot of money. Mm. And the same works with accounting. There's all of these terms, uh, and they're designed to intimidate you, so that you don't Google around, so that you don't figure this stuff out for yourself, and that you just pay lots of money for an accountant instead. But it's not always necessary, especially when you're just starting out in a business, or maybe you're just someone that runs a business from home. You can do your own accounts quite easily. And that's why it's called a self-assessment, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, Google around and don't be afraid and don't be afraid to go on forums and ask people what's allowed and what is not. There's loads of forums online. Um, whatever country you're in, there'll always be forums for that stuff. There'll always be discussions uh, mm -hmm. around these topics. 
Yeah. I mean, when biz launches, we'll, we'll make sure that there's a section in the forums yeah, I was for tax say, discussions. Obviously. I was going to say, please make sure there's a section in that in biz because honestly, like they don't teach you about taxes and stuff like that. School as as is. Well, it's really. because it's dangerous ground. It's because it's dangerous ground. I mean, even accountants are scared of talking about it because you can be arrested for giving people bad advice, right? Um, yeah. And that's why they say, you know, always speak to a tax. And I have to say it now too, you know, always speak to a, a registered CPA or whatever. But um, but yeah, that doesn't mean that you can't take the steps yourself to learn a bit more about this yourself yeah. and be in a better position. Um, I, I think if you want to run a successful business, you do need to understand some basic accounting, at least understand, you know, costs and profit, right? How much you're making and how much you're spending. A lot of businesses don't do that. One of my really good friends, um, I won't mention his name, but you'll know him. He uh, did $500,000 in sales uh, last year without spending any money on advertising. And then this year, he's managed to put himself in over 100 grand of debt. And the only reason that's happened is because he's not kept track of how much money he's making and how much money he's spending on the business. So he's been buying things on the business like uh, we'll spend like, I don't know, five grand on a video editing team for this to make the product really cool and that. And without keeping track on it, he's found himself in a lot of debt. Wow. So just basic, just basic looking at your expenses and, uh, and looking at your revenue and how much profit your business is making, even that is better than what most people are doing. Don't be intimidated by that stuff. Like make sure you do that. Yeah. Um, and then a, a level above that is you know, doing your own accounts and filing your own taxes. It's a good, it's a good thing to learn. So that when you do later then hire an accountant to do it for you, you can tell whether the accountant is competent or not because a lot of accountants aren't, they're not very good. Yeah, it's like the same thing I always suggest with people, at least figure out how to write basic sales copy and basic advertising because when you hire guys like me, Correct. You, you understand who's good and who's not or else you're going to get ripped off and someone's going to be like, oh great, I made 10 grand, see you later, here's a really shitty piece of advertising. It's it's just the same thing there. And um, it's interesting because after I read your post and started checking through my taxes, I'm like, I hate doing taxes so much. This is so annoying, but I've got to get them done. I think this year, though, I'm yeah. going to be, uh, I think I'm going to get shafted on my taxes because I moved uh, from Plymouth to London and uh, mm -hmm. they still haven't moved my company. They haven't moved my company address, so all my bills are going to my old address. Right. Even though I called them up, so it's like, it's going to be like, oh, crap, I, yeah, tax season's coming up. Let's, uh, let's pay this because it'll be interesting. But either way, it's going to be fun. At least people understand that. That is one aspect of what I wanted to ask you about that. But the other one was um, investments and kind of starting your own startup because startups are, they, they people make them seem easier than they are. And that, I get that's mostly okay. a perception of reality. I don't, because um, not just you, but one of my other friends has a startup going on right now. And it's really weird mm -hmm. seeing the dichotomy between you two. And then, of course, I've got my thing I'm going to be starting up, but I'm not doing that until, like, September, um, where we've got yep. you who's kind of got this whole idea, plan, structure of, like, you know what you're doing. And then there's my friend that's, like, clueless and asking me for help every two weeks. I'm like, I don't, I don't know right. how to do startups. I just write advertising and run businesses. That's different. You're a marketing expert, like, like me, too. We both have a marketing background. And, yeah, yeah that's, that's really our background, right? So. Yeah, pretty much that. Which isn't the same as building a startup, but they're two completely different fields. Though they're related, they don't involve the same skill set. Yeah, you got to know like your financials. That's like a really big thing um, with yeah. investments. But yeah, uh, you've got the floor on this one again. Um, I mean, startups are both easier and harder than people make out. The, the real problem is that we live in this culture where everyone thinks, so, okay, there's two problems. All right, firstly, most startups are being started by coders and engineers. Okay, mm -hmm. that's the first issue. 
and this is a huge issue in Silicon Valley. So everyone in Silicon Valley thinks, okay, well, I've got this great idea for this device. I'm going to build it because I'm this crazy engineer or coder, and I've got this amazing idea for a software device. And then all I have to do is find investors, and then suddenly this thing's going to take off, and it's going to become a billion-dollar thing, right? And that's how most people are, are approaching their startup, is that it's just, it's all about the idea, right? If I have this amazing idea, the people will come and they'll buy it, which is just not true. Okay, ideas are cheap and everyone's got great ideas and ideas kind of are, are worthless um, and just because you're a great engineer or a great coder and you great, create a great product doesn't mean anyone's going to find out about it doesn't mean that you are going to get investment because guess what everyone's asking for investment and if you don't know anything about marketing you've got no chance at ever getting any sales for it right so that's the first issue is that most people that are signing startups tend to be coders or engineers who completely like put down the idea of sales and marketing. They think that that's like a lower job for some marketer or salesman to do, not for them, mm. which is a huge mistake. If you, want to, if you want a successful business, you've got to understand marketing. Steve Jobs is a perfect example. He understood marketing and sales. That was his speciality. He wasn't the crazy engineer that designed all the products. He was great at getting people to understand why they needed to buy the product. He could have sold you like a really bad phone and you still would have bought it just because you're so good at marketing. And um, unfortunately, they, they created, exactly, positioning and marketing. Fortunately, he, he created great products. He put, they put out some great products, at least while he was alive, they did. Um, but it's because he understood sales and marketing. Richard Branson, another example, understands sales and marketing. He's not the guy building the airplanes. He's the one making you realize why you need to fly on a Virgin airline instead of a different airline or why you should use that product instead of other products. He's not the one that builds the products himself. So that's the first issue. Second issue is this crazy notion that you need to have some revolutionary idea to have a successful business. And this notion is coming from pop culture, right? So we've got shows like Dragon's Den in the UK, and you've got Shark Tank in America, right? Where there are these shows where people come on in front of these five investors and they try and pitch their wacky idea and then they try and get investment from these investors. And what will happen is the craziest ideas, the ones that are revolutionary, that have been patented, those are the ones that get the investment. So everyone sees that on these shows and they go, right, that's what I need to have. I need to have an idea like that to be successful. That's just not true. Um, most businesses that succeed aren't businesses that are doing something crazy or revolutionary. They're businesses that are, do that are taking an existing idea and making it better. Right? And if you look at the great entrepreneurs, if you look at Richard Branson, he didn't create the first airline in the world. There were plenty of airlines before Virgin Airlines came, came along. What he looked at was how can we make flying better for customers? Right? Steve Jobs, it's not like Steve Jobs invented the world's first computer or the world's first phone or even smartphone or the world's first tablet. Yeah, All he Microsoft. asked was how can we make... Right, yeah, exactly. He was saying, how can we make this stuff better? How can we make the phone experience better for people? And they made it better. And look, Apple's the highest evaluated company in the world. It's like the most valuable company in the world because of that. Um, Google wasn't even the first search engine. So this idea that you need to have a revolutionary, wacky idea that no one's ever figured out before is just wrong. And the reason people think it's true is because of shows like Dragon's Den and Shark Tank. And because the only thing you see in the news are stories of how some crazy iPhone app idea got $4 billion because it's got sold to Facebook. So everyone thinks that that's what they need to be successful. And it's just not true. What you need to be successful is to have a good strategy, is to understand marketing, is to have a good business plan and actually, actually follow it through. That's what it really takes. Hmm. I'm gonna, um, you know, go. 
Go on. I was going to say, I'm going to add to that in the sense of um, one other thing as well that's really going to work is the only reasons a lot of these companies did so well is because they saw what was already existing and just found a unique hook inside of that and made it their goal. Like, they made it their obsession. Yeah. Yeah. Like with but I mean, the basic way to look at it is just, is just the question, how do we make this better for people? Mm-hmm. And if you can do that... Tesla, right? Tesla is a car company and they don't just make electric cars. They don't just make cars that are better for the environment. They've actually made the car experience better for the customer. That's why they're doing so well. Because guess what? There were hybrid cars before Tesla came along. There were other companies trying to make electric cars that weren't doing so well. Tesla came along and wasn't like, okay, we have the most efficient car, even though they do. What they also looked at was how do we actually make the product better for people? So now they've got a car that's as fast as the McLaren F1, 0-60 seconds. Wow. But it only costs $80,000 as opposed to a million dollars, right? It has the best technology inside the car, it has the best screen, has the best comfort, has the best seats and everything, right? Best acceleration, best efficiency, drives I think 250 miles on one charge and you'll never run out because the electricity to charge your car is free on Tesla, right? They've got these supercharging stations in America, so if you're traveling from LA to Vegas, you can, charge, you can just stop along the way, charge your car within half an hour at these supercharger stations wow. and keep driving. Free electricity for life if you have a Tesla. So they really asked the question, how do we make this better for people? They didn't go, okay, how do we make this revolutionary thing where we're going to create like this flying car that does this crazy thing and it's like connected to Facebook. Like they didn't do that. They just said, how do, how do we make the experience that's already, that already exists? How do we make that better? They're doing the same with spaceships too, by the way. Um, yeah. And so literally, if you want a successful business, that's all you've got to do. And w- what you'll never see is someone go on Dragon's Den and say, you know, look, I'm, my idea is to build a Chinese restaurant <laughs> and I want investment for it. But guess what? That's a legitimate business idea. That's a legitimate business. And that'll probably make you more money than some crazy iPhone app that you think is just going to take off. Yeah, because um, it's more of a proven business model than what is. I get the fact that sometimes you've got to think outside the box and everything. But again, uh, what's the old notion? Find a wave and stand in front of it. You know, right. find what's already becoming popular. What is there, and just take advantage of it. Again, you know, the whole thing with you can be gone. So there's, you know, there's two ways of looking at creativity, and one is you can be creative outside of a box, which is to try and, you know, change the shape of the box or even get rid of the notion of there even being a box, right? So an example of that would be, uh, you know. The app store is great, but what if we could create, invent something that was literally not even like cloud computing, but literally in the cloud? Can you imagine that if it was in the like that's creativity on a level where you're trying to invent new revolutionary ideas that haven't existed before at all. Right? There's nothing even related to it. Um, you know, uh, the earliest example of that would be the guy that invented the wheel. Okay, um, but then there's creativity within a structure too. So then there's creativity within a structure. So you take an existing structure, for example, let's take a mobile phone, right? And you say within that, how can we be creative? How can we make the phone better? How can we think outside the box within the structure of us building a mobile phone, right? So what could we do to make it better? We could have a better camera, but that's okay. That's been done before. Um, Maybe we can have the battery life be better, but that's, that's thinking outside the box within the structure. Um, uh, let's take biz as an example. It's not like online education sites don't already exist. It's not like business training doesn't already exist. All I'm doing is saying, how can we make that experience better for people? How can we make it more affordable? How can we make sure that the courses are actually good? Right? We're not doing anything crazy revolutionary. We're not going like, to build some crazy new, d- new device that you need to buy if you want to learn business. No, all the things are already there. 
We're just saying, how can we make it better? And I think that's what it really takes to build a successful business is just asking the question, how can we take something and make it better? And then executing on it. That's, those are the two keys. I agree with you entirely there. I mean, that is like some of the, that is probably the most concise way of saying that because um, it's ridiculous. Also, I'm going to go on a slight rant here. Make psychedelics legal, damn it. I love it. God, they're <laughs> amazing. But, um, yeah, you don't want to do those in Singapore. You get, uh, you get head chopped off. So. Really? Is that like the well, there's a, there's a potential death penalty for it. Yeah, there's a potential death penalty, at least prison for a very long time, even for possession of a small amount. Of a psychedelic. Wow. That's or just any drugs in general. Asia's Asia in general is very strict on drugs. Uh, you hear about Jackie Chan's son? Uh, no, I didn't. What happened? Uh, this was about a month ago, so it's fairly recent. His son got arrested for weed possession. He's been in, he's, they're putting him in prison for three years, I think. Holy and there's God. nothing Jackie Chan can do about it. Oh yeah. Um, and the reason the reason being uh, the Chinese government's using celebrities to try and deter other people from doing drugs, so they're cracking down on all the celebrities that use it. Okay, yeah, that makes a lot more sense. I get that with drug deterrent there. I mean, I much prefer the Richard Branson method of what he invested in uh, in Portugal, like the way they did it over a 10-year period. Do you know about that? Say again? Uh, what Richard Branson did in Portugal. Did you hear about what he did in Portugal like with the drug system there? He invested in it, but do you know how he did it? So I know that he's big on the um, you know ending the war on drugs, but I didn't know what he's done in Brazil. No, no, in Brazil it's Portugal. Uh, what he did was oh Portugal, yes, of course, Portugal legalized it. Yeah, yeah, he, he well they made, decriminalized. They decriminalized it, and then they stopped. And crime has gone down. Yeah, but they also and made consumption sure, has gone down too. They made sure that people that were previously would have seen as you know throw them in jail for being addicts, they basically turned them into a hospital. All their most of their prisons actually got turned to a hospital wing now. So what they do is instead of like yeah. throwing them into prison, they just throw them into a hospital for the time it takes them to cure themselves of this addiction. That's literally yeah. They uh, they basically his philosophy, and I know Russell Brand was also big on this. Uh, but their philosophy is that um, drug addiction should be treated as a health issue, not a criminal issue. Yeah, which I agree with. Yeah, I'm certainly with them on that. Same, um, and also isolation. I mean, uh, that's how you treat alcohol addiction, right? They don't treat alcohol addiction as a crime or alcohol consumption as a crime treated as a health issue, mm. uh, I think the same should be done towards drugs. That doesn't mean that everyone should be encouraged to do drugs or anything like that. It just means that people who are already addicted, rather than just being put in prison over and over again, should be treated with the same um, you know, benefits that people that get addicted to alcohol do. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like what, what uh, Baz Rusin was talking about with what happened in Holland. He goes, the reason that Holland doesn't have an, uh, an underage drinking problem or a heavy drug problem is because, you know, in Holland, I think the legal drinking age is, I think, 13 or 7 or some crap. It's like a ridiculously young age. Or there's no drinking age right. whatsoever. He goes... Same in Germany, too. Yeah. yeah. It's because, like, oh, you think you're cool because you're drinking. There's a 7-year-old drinking over there. You know, are you yeah. really that cool? He's getting drunk and pff, you, you're trying to be cool. So it just deters you as you get older because you're like, I did all that stupid crazy crap when I was younger. And it's not an addiction anymore. It's kind of like it happened. I got over it. I moved on. You know, get on. Yeah, it's just not cool. It's, I mean, that's what ha what's happening in Colorado with marijuana. It's becoming less cool. So, so because it's been legalized. Yeah. Um, it's it's generated shitloads of money for that state, though. Like literally. Yeah. No. And the crime has gone down, and it's been amazing. Uh, and they're giving back a lot of the money to the citizens. Yeah. Um, through tax benefits and things, I think. So so yeah, it's been amazing. Um, but I mean, that, I mean, the reason that weed or just drugs in general are illegal is not because of health. 
Um, if that were the case, then alcohol would be illegal too. It's just because there's obviously a lot of corporations that have vested interests. I mean, in America, the companies that fund the anti-drugs campaigns are alcohol and tobacco companies. Yep. That's um, how screwed up it is. Oh, and it's, and we, I'm sure you already know this, but like the reason why weed is illegal. It's, it's not a health issue. It was a, it was a paper mill. That's what made it illegal. Was a yeah, paper exactly, mill. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, we don't want hemp. Being it wasn't made. even weeds that competed with it. It was actually hemp, which doesn't get you high. It was a sister plant of cannabis. Yeah. And they made it illegal because it was competing with paper companies who were losing profits because it takes years to build a tree or to grow a tree. It only takes weeks to grow a hemp plant, and the paper that you build from it is stronger. And they had fifty thousand products created from that stuff. Yeah. Um, I think there's a documentary that goes through this. It was called. Um, Oh, the Union. It's called The Union. It's yeah. free to watch on YouTube now. Oh, sweet. Um, and they, yeah, just watch the five minutes of that. It's incredible. It's called The Union, the business behind getting high, I think. But the, you just type in The Union um, documentary or come up on YouTube. Joe Rogan's in it as well. Yeah. Um, and that documentary did so well that they, uh, they showed it in Canadian government and Canada's been trying to you know, revamp their laws and drugs as a result. Mm. So, um, so yeah, that was a really good documentary. It's one of the only places I know that actually is uh, it's legal to smoke DMT in is Canada. Like you can go to Canada and actually buy DMT and you'll be fine with it. Well, the funny thing with DMT is that the ingredients you need to make it are all legal. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just like a plant. You, you take a plant and you also take a lighter fluid and something else and then you blend it all together or something then distill it and then you end up with DMT with the final product in, uh, in I'm England. Just, I'm just going to go and say if anyone that's a police officer that's listening to us, please not do that. We're, we're just messing around right now and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I don't advocate taking lighter fluid and grinding up some plants. Definitely don't do that. <laughs> yeah, because this reminds me of a Chris Rock sketch where he just comes out with... Um, it's like if you ban all drugs, get rid of all drugs, there's someone that's because people want to get high it's like people become mathematicians like listen if you take a dead lava bean uh, a lava bean and then uh, stick it in a stick it in a baby's ball and put a little gasoline in it and then just like suck it you'll get fucked up it's like people want to get high they will find ways to get high so yeah, people it's... will do whatever to escape their miserable life that's what it, that's what it really is <clears throat> Henry David Thoreau's that's why alcohol, alcohol is such an escape for people yeah it really is because like, I don't drink um <clears throat> Me, don't get me wrong, I've been tempted to, obviously, but, you know, I just don't do it. But again, that's not a religious thing. Contrary to popular belief, it's not a religious thing. It's a personal thing. But, um, yeah. for me, it's like, it's it's when I see people get really drunk on a week-to-week basis, that that freaks me out. Yeah. Like, really does, because I'm like, A, if you can see the damage you've done internally, and B, your brain is really fucked up, like, right now at this point, because um, yeah. it takes a while for alcohol to dissipate, dissipate out your system. It, really it ruins the next few days. Like, I mean, I went out last night and I was out till 3 a.m. and uh, I was, you know, partying hard and I didn't drink anything. I was sober for the whole night. And everyone kept offering me drinks too. Um, because of the people we knew, they were all like, hey man, it's on us. Don't worry about it. You can have it. And I was like, I know it's free, but I still don't want it. You know, because I'm like trying to train. I'm trying to improve my, uh, my fitness at the moment. I know if I drink, then tomorrow I'm going to feel like really tired and groggy when I wake up and I won't work and be as productive. I won't probably have the energy to do this podcast that we're doing right now or just because I took a drink that I didn't really need. Mm. Um, I think alcohol for a lot of people gives them permission to do things they wouldn't otherwise do. That's all it is. Yeah, it's, and I, I'm crazy and I'm crazy enough to give myself permission to do those things when I'm sober. Yeah, pretty I mean much. I'm pretty wild when I'm sober, so you know <laughs> Yeah, this is why we get on. And it's really weird that neither one of us have actually ever gone out on the, on a night out together though. That's like always the strangest thing, but we've not yet done that. That's crazy. 
We'll have to do that when I you come back to London. For sure. I sure. Can, I can imagine. Go to hip hop karaoke. Oh, uh, yeah, that'll be good. That actually will be quite good. Um, I probably will get on stage yeah. without being drunk. You I'm have to. You can't go drunk. and then you not get on stage. Yeah, I know. I'm going to have so much social anxiety being there, but I'm like, fuck it. I'll take some Adderall. I'll be fine. Let's go do it. <laughs> by the way, Adderall is fucking awesome, by the way. Just just their heads up. Oh, yeah? Yeah, but you can't take more than one in <clears> one day. Like, you have to take it in one day. You have to wait three days and then you can take another one. So explain why would someone want to take it? What what are the reasons that people typically take it for? Okay. Well, at least in the entrepreneurs community. Okay, I'm gonna give you the side from my side because <clears> it's it's more understanding because you can get the same effects with other things, but for me it doesn't work with other things. Um, so okay. as you possibly you know, but people listen to this if they know or don't don't know, I have uh, bipolar depression, which is a chemical imbalance in the brain. Don't worry, I'm not suicidal. Yada yada, whatever. It's there. It's chemical imbalance. I deal with it. Whatever. But what happens is because that chemical imbalance, you need certain chemicals in your body that you can take on that um, stabilize you, which is why antidepressants exist. I don't take any because, well, they'll kill me because um, that's what they do. They suppress so many different parts of your brain. It just fucking kills you in the end. Um, but the stuff they initially would use would be nootropics, like alpha brain and shit like that. And because you're using yep. stuff like that, what ends up happening mentally um, on a normal person's brain, that stuff just stimulates growth of, uh, what was it? Oh, crap. I can never say the word, but it's like, um, it's the neurons in your brain, basically. They expand out, so you have, like, more ability to uh, capture information, keep information, retain information, and stuff like that, and actually just really focus your mind. Over time, that works, and that's with the stuff, like, of paracetam, aniracetam, oxyracetam, that family coupled in with... CDP colines and you know all this other crazy shit. I'm not gonna go into it because I sound like a fucking mad scientist when I talk about this because I used to make them. <laughs> um, my cousin you sound like a drug addict. That's yeah, what you pretty sound much. Like. It's like ghetto, ghetto uh, drug addict. Here, let's go. Uh, no, not at all. But it's like you just you can get most of the stuff <laughs> over the counter as well, which is really cool. Um, I like, I'm taking some stuff that uh, they use in Russia for Alzheimer's, which is what you basically put it up your nose and just like three drops up your nose. Um, and that's been really good for me. But with Adderall, what I've always found, even when I use that stuff, I don't feel as, I feel clear, but you don't get the same effect that everyone else keeps talking about. Like everyone's like, I felt amazing and I did this and this and this and I feel productive today, yay. Mm. I get none of that. And then when I took Adderall, um, same thing, didn't feel any of the effects, but my thought pattern was a lot clearer. And literally the thing with Adderall is you have no procrastination. Well, you can have procrastination based on what you're focusing on. But if I was sat here going, right, I'm going to write the sales letter and write this marketing campaign, done. I don't even think about it. I'm writing it. Like, so it increases your focus. Oh, ridiculously. Like you just, um, your rate of speech goes up as well. Like you have less time to for people and less bullshit with them. So if someone calls you, you'll have Man, my rate of speech is already pretty fast. I think I'd start tripping over my words if I took it. Oh, no. <laughs> Bro, you, you would, like, we both have fast rates of speech, but it's just like ridiculous ridiculously fast my friend who um she's a fast talker as well and she literally looks at me and she goes fuck i was like what do you mean she goes i want to count how many words a second you're speaking i'm like don't bother it's just I, you feel so high right now ready to go and take on the world Jeez. but it's a four to eight hour um lifespan in your system um to give you focus mm -hmm. so what i usually do in that time span is i switch off my phone switch off my skype switch off my uh i am take that role and just have a to-do list and go through that the entire day and um it right. works you, you just get so much done 
the only downside again is that if you use it every day like they recommend you use if you're prescribed it is um it builds up tolerance in your body and eventually like it, it starts to tip over and starts becoming an addiction and then you have crashes and it's horrible so that's why i always advise take yeah. it once a week so get all your work done mm. in one day and you know party the rest of the week build up the rest and then do it again um that way just you know it's it gets out your system quick enough um but you're fine in fact i'm actually going to be trying i'm going to take some ad roll before i compete on the 21st of this month Oh wow! Yeah, I want to see like. What Is it not considered a performance enhancing drug? No, or a sport. No, no, no. Actually, it's completely Amazing. legal because um, you can even do it. I think you can. It's also used for ADHD. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, it's for ADHD, and um, it's typically it's used for ADHD. So I guess it's yeah. Yeah, and of course, just, yeah. I, I have ADD, so it's fine. Yay! Fun stuff. So do I. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about it. I think every entrepreneur does in some senses, and dyslexia. What is up with that? Like we have dyslexia, ADD, and some other mental illness. Really, that's kind of. The- I don't have dyslexia or dyspraxia, but I do have ADHD. That's for, that's definitely. <laughs> that's definitely. So, that's that's observant from the like times. Obvious, out. It's obvious to see when people meet me. <laughs> so, yeah. It's like when they try uh, and get, yeah. have a conversation with you. I think I've noticed you do this as well. You try and look them in the face long enough, but you can't because you're like. Fuck! I'm starting to reach your face now. This is weird. I can't need to look at something else. I can hear you. It happens so often. No, no, I can, I can, I can, I can look at people long enough. Actually, that that's never been an issue. No, that's. But that's just the way I, I switch from one thing to another, and then start doing random impressions in the middle of a room, and it, like it just, it's just a freak show, man. And that's what happens when you have ADHD. I think again, yeah, entrepreneurs and stand-ups always the best places to find them i think i think one of the great things about adhd is uh, or add is if you have it then you don't need to drink alcohol to go crazy (laughs) you're crazy enough as it is yeah you're a fucked up human being that just is fine just go out there and enjoy it like it's yesterday i was completely sober and yeah i was behind the dj booth in the dj area because they they're friends of mine that are djing i'm just like dancing like like I'm off my face on some kind of drug or something, but I was completely sober. <laughs> and everyone's just staring at me because in Asia, people aren't, uh, well, depending on where you are in Asia, Singapore is very civilized. So there was like, there people look at you like, what the hell is wrong with this guy? It's just crazy. <laughs> in fact, this happened in uh, Thailand, right? Funny story. I, in Bangkok, I was only there for four days, but we went to the uh, Uber launch party in Bangkok. So Uber, the, the taxi company. Um, they uh, launched in Bangkok. They've already been banned though in Bangkok <laughs> within a month. But I was there for the launch party and uh, it was on this rooftop club. And the DJs were amazing. They were playing hip hop, which I love. I love hip hop. I love Jay-Z. I love Kanye West and Drake. And they were playing Jay-Z, Kanye West and Drake songs. So I was losing my shit. I had... Dude, you That wasn't very epic. But that was... What's that? Uh, we lost you for a second. You're back. Don't worry about it. So they were, you're on the rooftop. Okay, so yeah, I was at, I was at the Uber launch party. It was a rooftop bar in a really cool hotel in Bangkok. Um, and the DJs were playing awesome hip-hop, which is my favorite genre of hip-hop, right? They're playing Jay-Z, Drake, and Kanye West. And so I start dancing like a madman, right? I keep dancing. And all of these Thai guys they, and Thai women, they start taking out their phones and filming me while I'm doing this. And I'm just dancing, like having the time of my life, pretty much sober. And I'm, I look at them and I'm like, what, what are you doing? And they're like, oh, we filmed you. You like that guy, very funny. <laughs> and that was like, they'd just never seen someone have such a good time whilst not completely drunk <laughs> off their head. So, plus getting... also in Thailand, or at least in Bangkok, you don't meet, you don't see many black people. I, I don't know why that is. In Asia in general. Yeah. Um, I don't think we travel. So like... it's funny. 
Japan. I've got a black friend here in Singapore, and like he walks around and people try and take photos with him because he's just because he's black. It's just kind of sad. It's <laughs> yeah. That's like a good version of racism, right there. Because like you know, you if we end up somewhere and oh, actually more so me because I've had this happen to me. You get lynch mobbed in certain white neighborhoods. Whereas if you're black and you know that's like a whole oh my god, don't take a photo with them. Whereas everywhere else it's like kill him. You know, it's totally different. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, black black guys, I think, have it tougher, to be honest. I think they do. They've had it for longer than we have, so we're okay. But, um... Sure. I, I don't think there's, like, any... There's no nation in the world that isn't racist towards black people or has that hasn't had some kind of history of being that. Like, even in Africa, go to South Africa, and there's just so much racism um, towards black people that, you know, there's places where Asian people or, or Hispanic people can go and they'll be fine, you know? Yeah. So, it, so yeah, they've got it much. I mean, my friend over here in Singapore, he's from London, and uh, he he walked up to someone to ask for the time, and the person just started running away, and like it was just it was horrible to hear. I was like, fuck, that would never happen to me. Like that would never happen to me. And it wasn't because of the way he dresses or anything, because that can be an excuse. No, he dresses like a like he dresses smartly, you know. And they were just super. Have you seen that that funny video of that person that goes up to the old Chinese lady? With a mask on, yeah. Trying to scare her. Have you seen that? Yeah. Yeah, and she's not. She's not even phased by it. But the moment she he takes off the mask and it turns out he's black, she just screams for her life. Yeah. Like, that was that's like, still the world we live in today, man. I mean, I mean, that's a funny video, but it also outlines some of the problems that still exist today. That's like one pretty, of them. Pretty much, but still, like, um, with like. And being in Asia right now, you see it a lot. I mean, there's, there's, well, there's this like subtle racism. Yeah, it's really true though. Like, there's racism everywhere. I think the probably one of the least racist places I know of is Japan. Quite liberal over there. Okay, I've not been. I've not been there. I'm planning to go to Tokyo at some point. Yeah, uh, a few of my friends went earlier this year, or earlier last year around summertime, and they were just telling me it was amazing. It was like one of the best experiences they've had. And I was like, really? They're like, yeah, there's like so many different people from all over the world. It's crazy. I'm like, that's good to know. At least there's an Asian hub where everyone's kind of cool and not crazy and racist and shit because that that freaks me out it always freaks me out when people are racist though because um a little funny story for people listening to this podcast and dayan actually doesn't know this it'll be fast for him i used to think i was a rastafarian when i was a kid i was like convinced i was a rastafarian i blame bob marley for this one you were how, how did that how did that even happen oh well i wasn't uh, well i grew up in africa obviously so i spent the first four years of my life in tanzania which is mostly a black country um, and there's Asians there, obviously, but like my dad didn't get along with the Asian side of our families because they were racist. They're like, we're not going to learn Swahili, we're not going to learn this because that's them and this is us. It's like so divided. My granddad, who's like 90 years old, doesn't even speak Swahili. He's lived there for his entire life. He's lived in that country, doesn't speak the local dialect. That's crazy to me. I'm like, I spent two weeks there and I picked it back up. But while I was there, because I spent so much time around um, Africans and stuff, uh, I, I didn't see color for me color was like I didn't see it for me it was just like this is just a normal person he's my friend we have a good time and I laugh and giggle but because I loved Bob Marley so much because I grew up on his music because my dad introduced me to Bob Marley music for, like from the get go it was like first music I ever heard till like to this day I can <laughs> I know every Bob Marley song there is um, but as a kid I used to like because I started speaking when I was about six seven months old um, I started speaking very, very early on. I didn't walk till I was 18 months, so we both know that speaking is probably my career then <laughs> for that one. Um, I, <laughs> I ended up thinking I was uh, 
I used to think I, I was Rastafarian because I used to hung out, hang out with a lot of Rastafarians and I didn't know Bob Marley was dead. I thought he was still alive because you could see him on TV. So if someone told me Bob Marley died, I'd throw like a hissy fit and shit. According to my parents, I'd like throw a full-on tantrum. Um, but yeah, that, that was it. And it's just really, it's strange to me that people can actually find that. Um, but I associate more with like African people and more like black people than I do with uh, Asian people. It's like the weirdest thing in the world right. for me. But then again, that's just down to me. Not yeah, I don't, I don't really associate with Asian people either. But, but yeah. Yeah, I, I, I realize, but, I think when you grow up over here, like at least the last generation, like our parents, they start to dis- disassociate from this whole, we're going to keep inside the Asian community or inside our community and rather reach out to everyone else and correct, kind of merge. So. And that's followed on I mean, us. I mean, for my dad, it was almost important. Like, he, he wanted to, you know, have a successful business. So for him, he had to. So even though he was, you know, like first generation here, he, he had to sort of be able to mingle with other people of different cultures. So growing up as a kid, my dad had a mobile phones business. So growing up as a kid, he'd always have, you know, um, he was doing business with either white people or Africans because uh, mobile phones were huge in Africa at the time. Still are, in fact. Mm. Um, so that was, that was, those are the people I was exposed to most were European and African businessmen. Um, and those are the people I learned from a lot uh, when I was a kid. You know, funny story related to that, what, what you were saying about Bob Marley. When I was a kid, my mom asked me what I wanted to be when I was older. And my answer was, I want to be Will Smith. She's <laughs> <laughs> like, what? But he's, you can't be him. Like, no, no, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I was like, yeah, I want to be Will Smith. Like, he break dances and like, he's in movies and he, he sings and he raps. Yeah, I think my mom was trying really hard to say no, but you're not black. <laughs> but that was, like, that was my answer, is that I wanted to be Will Smith. Oh man, I, I do not blame you. The funny story about Will Smith for a long time, I don't know if you went through this, but um, when I moved to England and stuff, because like in Tanzania, if you have this like same surname as someone else, you're, you're related, because that's the way it works. Like It's a very, very small right. culture, you're related, you have the same surname. Over here though, the first time I saw the name Smith, I thought they were related to Will Smith. I was like, my sister had to explain <laughs> it to me. My sister, who was seven years older than me, had to sit me down and go, they're not related. I was like, but why not? She's like, because of this, I was like, but you have the same name as me and we're related. And she's like, it's not the same thing. Yeah, I can see I can see why a kid would think that, though. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, this is the part where I reveal I was like 13 years old, but really I was seven. But yeah, <laughs> just kids. Yeah. <laughs> um, man, that's crazy. But yeah. like to, to backtrack to like your um, training and stuff, what are you what are you doing right now? Because I know you had like a, was it a herniated disc in your neck or something that was really, really messing you up? Yeah, so... So yeah, I had a herniated disc in my neck and the neurosurgeon said it's most likely happened as a result from bad posture over the years. Um, or it could have been from an impact. I think it's probably just from the bad posture. But once, one time in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu training, I did get kicked in the heads, not by the guy I was sparring with, but the, just a, a pair that was sparring next to us. And so the guy who's sparring next to us, his foot swung around and hit me in the back of the head. And so that could have been what triggered it. Um, to be honest, I, I think it's most likely it was just bad posture over the years, but I had a herniated disc, which meant I was out of training and uh, um, basically stuck in a bed for a month, which is not fun. And that's what I talk about in that, in that blog post that you mentioned. Um, but now I'm looking at uh, gaining weight again and, uh, and getting into martial arts again properly, because um, in Singapore they have some incredible mixed martial arts gyms. Mm, where I- they've got one here called Evolve MMA. Yeah. And they've got something like, I don't know, like 16 or even 30 world champions in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Muay Thai, all teaching in the same place under the same roof. 
they've got UFC people like there. It's amazing. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm looking to get back into mixed martial arts. That's good. Um, mainly Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah, I'd say um, for someone like you, I'd say get into Jiu-Jitsu first before you do the striking side of things. Um, main yeah. reason is after spending, <laughs> let's see, I started writing advertising like unconsciously again when I was like 12, 13 because I looked this up. Um, and then I started doing Thai boxing the year after, like when I was 13, 14. And yep. after breaking my bones to such a degree, like right now it's really weird because um, I used to play drums. Don't anymore. Uh, yep. Because I've, I actually found out that, that according to my doctor, the way that my wrists are impacted so much, I've broken them a combined total of 30 times. Like each wrist. Jesus, been, yeah, what broken, the hell? Whoa. I've, I've broken my wrist so much so that the veins in my arm, in my left hand, do not match the veins in my right hand. The the way that they actually hooked up to my hands, um, there's different pathways because they've had to like form around the broken bone. What kind of? I mean, were you doing like any like hardcore training tactics that aren't advisable? Oh no, I just fought through the pain. I was stupid as a kid. I used to like train. Like you gotta remember, I did. Um, I was captain of my basketball team at school, and on top of that, I did Thai boxing, and I used to train three to four hours a night, like every day for like five days right. a week, and then three hours on the weekend. Um, and exposing your, like, you know, when you throw punches, I never used to like doing it, but I used to do it, and used to do it wrong. Like, um, my fourth fight, I, I broke, in my fourth fight, which is memorable for three reasons. One, because I broke two parts of my hand in the same round, and the second is my mum, and I'll tell the story in a moment, but... Um, what happened was that you know your ring finger on your left hand i think i've shown mm -hmm. you this um the knuckle there is like considerably shorter than the knuckle than the ring finger on my right hand um and the reason right. is when i threw a body hook i caught the guy on the hip and i felt that entire hand jam into my wrist i just felt that part of my hand jam into my wrist i threw the same punch again thinking i'll get him this time um, and I snapped my wrist entire in half, but the thing is the bone was pushed in and then it snaps it snapped the bone to my To that knuckle as well. So the bottom of it's like did that stop the fight? No, I kept fighting I, I ended the round I went and sat Jeez, down um, Dude, I'm undefeated still so you know, I'm not gonna stop at that point um, oh. And this is where the story gets funny to me. Uh, I'm sat there like screaming in pain and my I've got two rounds left I've got round two and three and um, it's Thai boxing, so of course you can use other things. And um, one of my instructors pulls me over and goes, look, dude, you, you've got to do this. You've got to go out and win. Um, clinch up, break the guy's ribs. Now my mum, she comes into the corner. Now, for the people that haven't seen my mum, my mum's what I would call a typical Muslim lady in the sense that she wears like a headscarf, she wears a burqa. She's very, very peaceful and very, very loving lady. Um, and she's in the ring like, fuck him up, Ado, you can do this. Funny story, <laughs> I wish she said that. This is what she said verbatim. She looks over to me. That's what, that's what I meant, it's sarcastically. There's no way she would have said that. No, no, she said this instead and slightly worse. I wish she said that. She literally comes up to my ear and she goes, <laughs> who are you more scared of, me or him? I was like, what do you mean? She goes, who are you more scared of? I was like, you she goes right i didn't raise no pussy get in there and knock him out while you're walking back home <laughs> i was like okay. she said that to you yeah she said this to me like as Whoa. i was going out for the second round um i won the second round by breaking the guy's ribs in the clinch but it, it was like that was the oh, most yeah just literally because um clinch work is my favorite thing in the world i don't like boxing but i like kicking in i'd love to then yeah next time i'm in london i'm gonna learn some clinch work for you from you because i was re-watching the uh, rich flank anderson versus rich franklin fights yeah, because like he just fucks him that up. That clinch man. 
Oh, that clinch is just so deadly. Yeah. Oh yeah, I agree entirely. And um, Anderson, uh, I've always, I said for years, I like, I actually got invited at one point to train with him in Brazil when I was nineteen. Um, mm. But I couldn't go because um, I I didn't have the funds to go. But with Team yeah. Black House, I've always said I wanted I wanted to uh, trade knees with Anderson to see yeah. how how good it, like how good his clinch work is and stuff. I was like, yeah, he would fuck me up because he's slightly taller than me and stupidly heavier than me. Um, mm. Hold on a second, just a uh, reply, uh, just on a podcast. It's funny how many people you tell that you're on a podcast today and they still freaking call you. It's annoying. But um, what was I going to say? So that was one thing that happened. But the interesting aspect of martial arts, why I did Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, because like, after years of breaking my bones, I think, um, I've had three knee operations total, like two on my right knee, one on my left. Um, Fuck, man. Yeah, dude. It's like There was a guy that worked with Tony Robbins. I've never had an operation. I've, yeah, it's funny story with there's always a funny story attached to these things for me because it's just it's just as is if it didn't happen this way then it wouldn't be even funny at the same time I had my first knee op i had my both knees my done like um 16 within 16 weeks i had my right knee done eight weeks recovery then my left knee done um at the time my dad had just had his he had his spinal cord done because he had uh, tuberculosis and it rushed away one of his spines so they had to like you know open up his back put like uh metal discs in there to actually make sure they could walk okay um mm. he got addicted to uh the oh shit was it crap morphine that was morphine it. yeah he got addicted to morphine um and it took him a long time to kick a like, lot of people got addicted to morphine yeah well it's heroin isn't it so um yeah anyway so i'm sat there and like i'm 16 at the time so i don't have a saying decision in this my dad tells the doctor not to give me morphine for recovery he in fact just tells him, nope, he has to go with like codeine and paracetamol. That's it. So I'm sat there in bed screaming. Which is not great because codeine and paracetamol are not that, not that strong. Yeah, for a knee operation where you've had your knee sliced open and replaced, yeah, it's... I was sat like screaming. It's not good enough, man. I was screaming. I was Dude, like, I, was oh. codeine, I was in codeine just for my herniated disc and it didn't do anything. It did nothing. Um, so yeah, <laughs> like for a knee operation, I feel for you, man. Yeah, it was it was like probably the most intense pain I've ever gone through after an operation. And I had to get it done twice. So like I'd only stop the pain in one leg, and then two weeks later, it's on the other leg. I'm like, I hate everyone right now. Wow. <laughs> it's no, it's so do you think? I mean, that's that's essentially because of striking martial arts that you've had those kind of injuries, right? That and also because I was stupid. Uh, striking martial arts are really good, but you need to find the right school to do them in, and you need the right instructors around you. Um, if you if you people ever, that like instructors that aren't too gun ho and too silly when it comes to this kind of stuff, like people that understand how the human body works. Yeah, because you get this in a lot in Eastern martial arts too, where they're like, you know, the best way to strengthen your fists and your knuckles is every time you break a bone they grow back stronger so you're going to be punching a wall for the next and like that's just terrible advice yeah because it's not true it doesn't always work like that it doesn't work in the way that oh you just break it and then it grows back strong no no no. sometimes you break it and it never really grows back properly and you have problems for the rest of your life even if it, so punching it, a wall is never a good idea even if it grows back stronger when you hit 40 the calcium deposits that actually make that bone stronger dissipate and all you're left is brittle bones which is why if you look at someone and like, arthritis that's yeah. what happens that's if, what yeah. if, if you look at someone like Roy Jones Jr who is arguably in my opinion still one of the greatest boxers of all time same with Bernard Hopkins the reason why Bernard Hopkins still can fight the way he can and fuck people up and still knock them out but Roy Jones not so much can't but won't is because Jones used to throw 
like full-on power punches, like really heavy punches. Um, and a few times right. he's broken his hands in like in training, and they become brittle over time. Same with Floyd Mayweather. Um, whereas you see someone like B-Hop, who's won most of his fights by decision, outlasting, and actually sometimes knocking out his opponent, he can still do it because his hands aren't... Then they haven't been pushed to the edge where he breaks them and then has to keep mm. fighting. He's like, okay, I broke my hands, I'm going to take time off, I'm going to let them recover, then I'm going to go back to the gym and do it again, You know, train again, this time I'm not going to let them break. Um, so if you're going to do a striking martial art, I'd say definitely understand the right place to train. Thailand is really good, but Holland is probably the best place to go to train uh, striking or get a Dutch coach because mm-hmm. the Dutch really know what they're doing. Um, but in terms of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, again, same thing. you got to have the right people around you because the guy that teaches yeah, me... Yeah, I've been, to some, I've been some, to some really terrible Brazilian jiu-jitsu gyms where they, they're just training in a, in a way that you don't even learn anything. Yeah. Um, and it can be dangerous too. Yeah. Uh, especially if you're trying to learn the, the martial art for self-defense or for MMA. Um, it's not the same as learning Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in the sport sense. Um, yeah. So there are you know, countless stories of people learning Brazilian, or sports Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, thinking that they're learning it for self-defense, then they get into a real fight and they just get beaten the crap out of because they've never learned how to manage the distance. Um, a lot of the moves they've learned completely are, are taught to them with the understanding that punches aren't even, aren't even involved because obviously in sports jiu-jitsu there's no striking, right? But that means they leave their face open, they leave everything open, they get beaten the crap out of in a real situation. So yeah, you've got, you've got to have good instructors, you've got to go pick a good school and unfortunately there's a lot of not so great schools. Yeah, um, it's true. I mean, um, SBG, like Straight Blast Gym, SBG, um, they're an amazing gym. Uh, Kenny, my instructor, used to be one of the guys. It's you'll find their style of training is amazing because um, Kenny left like the gym that I usually originally trained at in Plymouth. I learned Brazilian Jiu Jitsu last year. I trained there for ten months, um, and there was some stuff behind the scenes that I got privy to. I got some access to, uh, and understood what was going on. Kenny left that gym, and um, people just like Kenny started teaching more, so they all left with him, and. Seriously, mm. since October till now, I've been checking up on them because I'm going back there in a week. Fuck, I'm going back there in a week. I've just realized. Um, going back there in a week on Monday. Uh, they have, they've gone from, uh, the, the place they moved to was Hybrid, which was Kenny's other old gym. They, he'd left there to train this new one. Um, but when he went back to Hybrid, he, uh, there was only about 20 students there that were good. At, well, we say good. Like their blue belts were just the same level as our white belts. Like that's like they were right. they were given their blue belt way too early because um, mm. they were getting tapped out left right and center by us, and a lot of our, a lot of their purple belts were still only as good as some of our early blue belts. It was like this huge gap in power because they were instructed giving the belts out prematurely and yada yada and all this other weird politics. Anyway, Kenny moves over. About sixty students leave the old gym to come over with Kenny, and within two months, because people have started to see the improvement. It's grown to over 120 students in literally two and a half months. It's ridiculous. Word of mouth, Whoa. no advertising. Yeah, the classes are so full that um, when I go back now, I've actually been, t- uh, like, the reason I'm training six hours a day once I'm in Plymouth for, like, the week up to the competition isn't because I've not been able to train in London for eight weeks. Um, I only did one session in London while I've been here. Uh, don't just personal stuff. But when I get back to Plymouth, it's literally going to be, we're going to run you through the mill. And... Um, yeah, mm. be on the lookout for this guy because uh, Conor McGregor and Gunny Nelson, who are both UFC fighters, 
are actually really good friends with Kenny and actually fly him out to Iceland to train them. Like whenever they have fights coming Sweet. up. Yeah. I love Conor McGregor too, man. I, I've only recently learned about him and after seeing his last few fights, I've been like, wow. This guy came out of nowhere and he's just, uh, he's hilarious outside of the ring and inside the ring he's explosive. So yeah. The only thing I'd say- Let right, me ask you something. Go. What do you think of performance enhancing drugs and sports? Because we've got this recent case of Anderson Silva, who is denying that he took them, but he tested positive for them. Um, but even with him aside, then you've got like countless cases of drugs and sports. We had Lance Armstrong, you had Barry Bonds. Happens in the UFC all the time. In fact, uh, I think uh, Alistair Overeem's been caught. Nick Diaz, I don't really count him because his was marijuana. But um, Charles Sonnen, Stefan Bonner. Um, in the Olympics, I think it's close to 90% of them are on performance-enhancing drugs. So what's your take on performance-enhancing drugs? What do you think? Should they be allowed? No. Is, is there something wrong in the system? It depends what they are, because like, a lot of people don't know how performance-enhancing drugs work in the sense of um, what, they're testing, what they're testing is. There's a list of testing drugs that they will actually look for. Now, here's the interesting thing. A lot of the stuff that's in that list, you can actually pay a very smart person to concoct a performance-enhancing drug that isn't on that list, that takes bits right. and pieces of that list but doesn't actually have them on there. Um, so you can create- Doesn't have the metabolites that would be found in those particular drugs, yeah. Exactly, now the case with Anderson Silva, this is an out of competition, pre-fight uh, pre kind of thing. And um, I still believe that it could have been contaminated simply because, um, I'm not gonna say on the call, but I'm privy to some information, so to say, about the whole situation because I know a couple of guys that Anderson's trained with and some of his best friends are actually really good friends of mine now that I train with as well. Right. Um, Anderson's case is quite strange because he's never really taken anything on the list that would ban him hmm. as a performance enhancing drug guy but considering he snapped his leg just like what 15 months ago uh, Yeah it wouldn't surprise me if because of that that he had to take something. Not, not because of him but because of his physiotherapist Correct. That's what I was going to say. I think the epic story is going to be that he had nothing to do with it. And they're like, hey, Anderson, eat this burger from Burger King. He's like, what, really? And they're like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. fine. It's fine. It's awesome. Like, you sure I can eat this in training? So, yeah, it's fine. And then he eats some burger and then they inject him with some stuff. And he's just like, oh, shit. Thanks, guys. Or probably it was just part of his treatment because, you know. Maybe it was his son because his son doesn't want him to fight anymore. <laughs> he's like, Dad, I told you not to fight. No, I, yeah, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> I, I, really good impression of him, by the way. But um, what what he's I you don't respect my career, honey. <laughs> now, oh, Tommy Toehold, man, you're making me think of Tommy Toehold so bad. Well, there's for the people that don't know, Tommy is like uh, he's a cartoon character. It's fucking hilarious. Just watch him on YouTube. But with Anderson's case, I reckon what it was was um, you know, corsidone, uh, whatever it is the the pain med that you have to inject into your body. Mm -hmm. I think it was that, and it was just laced with anabolic steroids that you didn't know about. It could have been that, because, you know, you're coming off a fucking leg yeah. break, you've got bones growing around metal on your leg, and, you, and you're trying to walk around and stuff, so of course that's gonna, you know, have an effect. And the guy is a freak mm -hmm. of nature. I mean, he is a freak of nature. Um, so I, I actually believe him that he didn't take anything that was on the illegal list. That's me what. too. Me too. I, I think he probably didn't take him, and it was probably the wrongdoing of someone else on his team. If it, if it did happen, if it wasn't contaminated, because there's very few cases that have been ever contaminated. When people have tried to fight these cases in the past, I don't think anyone's ever won them. No, so has. I reckon it was someone on his own team. There has been a few there cases, been? yeah, where they won. Um, in this case of like Overeem, a lot of people say that he was on PEDs. He actually wasn't. 
Um, for a guy that's actually trained with Overeem when I was younger, that guy's a monster anyway. I'm going to tell you that now. He's fucking huge. Yeah. Um, like, I've never mm. been knocked out. Ever. Like, I've never had a clean knockout in my career. I've never been cleanly knocked out. Overeem hit me with a left hook. It went through my glove, and I felt like I was looking at him, but my brain was like six feet to the left of me. That's how hard he hit me. Yeah. That's so... Overeem yeah. hits I wouldn't even want to spar with that guy, man. Screw that. <laughs> yeah, because it, it was in Holland. Those guys are like crazy. But what I'm going to say is with Overeem... They don't um, hold back, huh? It's also because of the horse meat he was eating. You got to look at the type of food and diet he was having. That shit's going to bump up your testosterone. You went through the whole steak eating challenge. I think it was for like 30 days straight. You had nothing but steak. Um, mm-hmm. I remember you telling me your testosterone levels through the roof. You were like cutting people off. You were doing this. You just felt weight. You could take less shit yeah. from people. Yeah. Ribeye steak combined with coconut oil and uh, fermented cod, li- cod liver oil completely, uh, yeah, not only boosted but dramatically increased my testosterone levels. I had been tested too, and it was, uh, I felt angry. I started to feel rage, which I've never experienced before. Yeah. Um, like almost animalistic, and I could see like the effect, you know, how you know, diet really has a big impact on the stuff. Day on Yeah, man. <laughs> that's what happened. But uh, I was going to say, so that's. Kind of missed that. So that, that could have been one of the reasons, because if you look at really what they tested was this testosterone to his, uh, testosterone to his epitestosterone, and it was just outside the realms mm-hmm. of, normal, of normality, and they just pegged that as a PED. Nothing really was proven on that case, by the way. Like, because if it was, yeah. you would have been... I mean... Go on. My question to you, though, is don't you think that uh, PEDs allow the older athletes to compete with the younger athletes? And if they didn't have them in sport that you'd have a case where you know older athletes just wouldn't be able to compete especially in a sport like ufc where the training regimes are just so intense where you know the difference between a, an amazing athlete and one that's not as good at fighting is literally how many hours they're spending at the gym and who can like inch out the extra second in a five-round fight you know that is true. is that an argument for peds that can be but it can't be as well because you gotta look at again freaks of nature um it's like, look right. at Antonio Nogueira, like the Nogueira brothers. Yeah. That, they didn't do TRT. Fucking tough yeah. as nails. Like, they are literally tough mm. as nails. You fight a Nogueira Yeah, Nogueira versus Bob Sapp. <laughs> yeah. That fight's insane. Or, or even Fedor. Look at Fedor Emelianenko, yeah. who fought, like, until his 40s. He only, his last couple of fights, he lost them. But up to that point, if you look at the amount of damage he took on his body, it was incredible. I mean, um, there is so many great fighters. Again, if Baz... I still say this, if Baz Rutan didn't have the problem with his left arm, which I think he has a, his muscles atrophied in his left arm versus his right mm-hmm. arm, so he always wears like a shirt over it. If you see it, it's actually like completely, there's no muscle there anymore. Um, so, really? Yeah, he, it, it's a problem that he had, bless him. Um, but if Baz was in perfect shape, like as he and kept training, because he still teaches, but he doesn't train as much as he used to, if he did that, he can come out and still knock the shit out of people half his age. I reckon that like he's one of the right. true greats. That if he came back today and fought a middleweight, which is his natural category, he would give Chris Weidman a beatdown. I mean, not saying anything against Chris because Chris is an animal with a whole different style. But um, just for proficiency, yeah. I still think Baz has better proficiency because he understands his body better. He understands where not to overexert himself, how to move out the way of striking. He understands the distance of things. Um, which is why when you see Brazilian jiu-jitsu guys, and this is my big gripe with the jiu-jitsu community, and it's the same as Hicks and Gracie, as is with everyone else, um, Hickson, Kron, and a few other fight greats, um, they all believe in the same thing I do, which is you fight to finish. 
You don't fight for a five-minute round. You fight to submit the shit out of your opponent. You don't believe in points. You go in. You fight. It's only finished when someone taps out. That's the best way it works. Right. Um, but even him, like, I don't know if you know about the com- competition rules of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Do you know that at all? Like category no. rules? Okay. There's adult category, which is 18 to 30. And then there's Masters 1, Masters 2, Masters 3, and seniors and shit like that. Um, right. I believe that you should not have any of that stuff. I mean, you should be allowed to fight people in the same age bracket if you're above 50 and stuff. That's understandable. But if you look at someone like Brett up till this recent time, because unfortunately he got busted for PEDs, but Braulio Estima, who's who's like one of the pioneers of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in the UK, Braulio mm. um, is 30-something, and he fights 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds, and guys that are coming up now. He just fights them because he wants to see them. Um, it's the same with like a guy called... Uh, I can't remember his first name, but his his nickname's Cyborg, and he's a jujitsu like man. He's fucking he's an animal. Um, he mm. fought the world champion right now. His name is uh, Rick. Uh, it's like Almeidas. Um, can't remember. His, uh, I can't remember his first name, but they call him Buchecha. Buchecha or Buchecha is this pronounced. That guy is again monstrous. These guys like real honest monsters, um, and again they don't use PEDs. To do this, but right. kind, kind of go off like on an angle here. I want to get your opinion on something. I like Conor McGregor because he is an extension by a teammate of mine by extension. Um, but I don't think he's got. I think he's got a chance against Aldo. But when he fights Aldo, he's going to realize why Aldo is like really feared. I'm. I, I totally agree with you on that. Yeah, totally agree with you on that. You, you know, did you see the whole thing where they did a breakdown of? Um, I think Conor's. I think Conor McGregor needs to be. I mean, not careful, but he. I don't know what word to use, but it could be a similar fate to Charles Sonnen, where he can talk really great and promote fights very well, but um, he might be uh, undervaluing the skill of some of his opponents. Um, and Aldo is one of those guys. <laughs> yeah. um, but what Conor McGregor is doing in terms of talking trash, Aldo—that's the right thing to do to promote these fights. I mean, no one would know who Conor McGregor is if he wasn't doing this stuff right now. The way he dresses, the way he talks about Aldo. That thing he did at the end of his last fight where he jumped out of the ring and went out screaming at Aldo. That That's was... what's making everyone, including myself, notice who Conor McGregor is and wanting us to watch that fight. Yeah. So it's good that he's doing that. But from a, just a, a fight fan, I don't think that it's going to be that easy for him to beat someone like Jose Aldo. See, I, I'd actually probably think Jose Aldo has the upper hand on that fight. I'll, I'll tell you why I think that as well in a moment, but there was, there was an interesting moment of psychology for me that I noticed when um, when I saw what happened with Jose during the f- post-fight, uh, the fight and, uh, you know, when Connor screamed at Aldo and then he said, Aldo said he wouldn't get in the ring, or get, he wouldn't get in the cage. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, psycho- a psychological play there. Basically, if you look at Aldo's face when Connor's screaming at him, Aldo just has a smile on his face. That yeah. tells you, A, I'm confident enough to knock you out. That's one and two. I just think that you're funny. I've got no animosity against yeah, you. Yeah, no, he, does, he doesn't respect him. He doesn't have any like uh, fear or respect of Conor McGregor. Well, What's funny is that Conor McGregor respect. was asked about that. He has respect, but he doesn't have fear. That's the difference. Yeah. Remember? I mean, it was funny is they asked Conor McGregor at the UFC 183 event before the Anderson and Nick fight. They just were interviewing Conor McGregor and they asked him, you know, who is the little girl? I was just standing there, like laughing at the whole thing. And he was like, "That little girl was actually my niece. <laughs> that was Conor McGregor's niece. That was hearing him trash talk Aldo outside the ring and screaming at Aldo." 
Wow. I thought that was really funny because I thought it was like quite Jose Aldo's relative or something. No, no. I was it's... like, poor little girl, like getting scared of Conor McGregor, but it's actually Conor McGregor's girlfriend was sitting there along with his niece. Yeah. Um, the other thing as well is with uh, Aldo, like they recently did this with McGregor, and I found out recently they, they did this and they removed the video, which really pisses me off. But Sports Science did a uh, breakdown of um, McGregor's speed and his hip placement and his velocity, I think it was like 880 degrees of hip velocity in his strikes, and his spinning back kick is like uh, 0.3 of a second. That's how quickly he can hit you with his kicks. Um, right. His punches are just as fast. They did Aldo's, by the way, uh, a couple of years ago. Jose Aldo, and this is why I think he's going to win, Jose Aldo's speed, 0.233 of a second, is how quickly it takes right. him to kick you. And we both know his kicks are fucking legendary to start with. Um, that's Uriah Faber, man. Remember that fight? <laughs> oh, yeah. Hematoma. This guy fights him and walks, walks the next day with a completely black leg. It was a hematoma. A white guy with a black leg because he's just so bruised up from all of those leg kicks and his own crutches. And I was like, damn, that is insane. Yeah. Um, the yeah. other one was uh, they tested. His last few fights, he hasn't even won with leg kicks. That's the amazing thing. Yeah. I mean, he's like anti-wrestled and just beat the crap out of people. Like his wrestling style is like that. And a lot of people say, why isn't Jose knocking out people like he used to? Well, there's a reason behind that. I mean, it's partially because of him, but the other ha- the other part is the opponents are much tougher than they used to be. I mean, it's one thing coming in yeah. and throwing like a flying uh, double knee into Cub Swanson's face, which was an amazing three-second fight, by the way. He just literally touch gloves, runs up, knees him <laughs> twice in the face, and knocks him out cold. It's like three seconds of yeah. a fight. Really? That was it? Okay, cool. We're going home. Um but I reckon Aldo, uh, his velocity and power, by the way, remember I told you that Connors was 880 degrees uh, velocity, like his hip velocity. Jose Aldo, mm. 1,100. That, that's Jeez. just ridiculous power. And of course, Anderson Silva said, if Jose ever moved up to 185, I'd retire and just give him the belt. Yeah, I know, but he's probably just joking when he said that. Anyway. He said it as a kind of humorous comment. It was actually. Yeah, Anderson Silva says a lot of stuff. Yeah. He thinks everyone's the best fighter ever. <laughs> I remember after he beat Rich Franklin, he's like, Rich Franklin, he's the best. It's like, no, he's not. You just beat him. <laughs> it's just another way of him saying I'm the best bitch. Just, just understand that. But the yeah, other thing it's, with- it's one of those fake humility things that a lot of athletes play. In fact, no, it's not even a lot of athletes. What my friend, uh, a close friend of mine, was saying, he said Brazilian thing actually. Um, the whole like being, oh, this guy's the best. This guy, they do it in Portugal as well. So I guess it's a Portuguese thing, but. Um, the, the false humility card. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo used to do it a lot as well. Mm. And it can actually get really annoying when they're doing it to everyone because it's almost condescending. They're just like, oh, no, you're the best. You're the best. And then they just like, beat the crap out of everyone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous because that's just how they are. And it's it's humbling to a degree. But um, again, it's, it's based on where they are from Brazil and where they are really because it's um, mm. different parts of different people really. But um, Brazil's a huge place. Yeah. yeah. They've got very varying cultures within the country. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's, I mean Anderson's from a small town called Curitiba, right? So that's yeah. obviously going to have a, its own culture. Yeah, versus where my friend Alex uh, D'Souza, who, quick shout out to Alex D'Souza, mm-hmm. BJJ, those guys are fucking animals down there. And he is as well himself, second degree black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And that guy, uh, there's a photo of him beating the shit out of me. You know, there's that where I'm doing no-gi and I'm just getting my ass handed to me on my Facebook profile. 
that's that's Alex, and um, Alex is actually really good <laughs> friends with Anderson. He actually used to promote Anderson's fights in the UK before uh, Eddie oh, nice. Ed Soros came in. Um, Anderson calls him every so often when he's in London, going, "Hey man, why don't you come see me? I thought you don't." And then goes, "Ah, I thought you, you don't love me anymore. Is that what it is? All this, that, the other, just like making it sound really gay." Um, but they're really good <laughs> friends. Like he, he told me a lot of cool stuff about Anderson, so I was really, really uh, grateful for that. But kind of jumping back into McGregor because McGregor's done something that people in in their marketing they should do is he's picked his market and uh, what's what he's done the same thing Fifty Cent did when he started out his his business. And I reckon that and for anyone listening to this, don't just focus on like looking at marketers who market and that's their job. Look at people who have done it in other industries like um, 50 Cent for instance, amazing. Jay-Z is another amazing guy uh, of how they've branded and personalized and positioned themselves. 50- Mother Teresa. Yeah. And the Dalai Lama. Two people that, you know, arguably... <laughs> Mother Teresa is an interesting example. I, I bring that up not just as a joke actually. I mean like people like Mother Teresa and Dalai Lama there are two people that are admired by literally the entire world and that is not an accident. Yep. That's it's not, not an accident that these people have branded themselves in a way where everyone is like, oh, they were great. You know, I mean, we're taught from a young age that Mother Teresa is this amazing person. If you actually read into her history, it's actually highly questionable, a lot of the things that she's done. But thanks to the power of branding and, and the way that she branded herself, um, She's remembered as one of the greats, and she's remembered not just by a small market, but by the entire world as being one of the greats. The entire world and every culture and religion speaks very highly of her. Um, Dalai Lama, same thing. And so oftentimes, some of the best marketing uh, examples to study aren't people whose living it was, like you said, to be marketers, but people who themselves were a perfect or great example of how they branded themselves. Uh, Thomas Edison is another one that comes to mind, right? I mean, uh, you had Nikolai Tesla versus Thomas Edison. Who won that war? Thomas Edison. Not because he had the better product, but because he was just great at marketing himself, marketing his his work. Yeah. Did you actually hear about how, uh, we're going to jump onto this in a second, about how, like, Tesla died and stuff. Do you know about, like, what happened about the theory behind it? Uh, no. I'll, I'll tell you that in a moment. It sounds like conspiracy theory, but it's actually really believable when you look into the atmosphere of what what happened around him and it's it's just a weird obsession of mine looked into it i was like holy fuck that actually makes a lot more sense um but going into like branding yourself uh i say this because mcgregor's done the same thing 50 cent did and it's actually in the 48 laws of power by robert green again if you're starting business i tell Mm -hmm. everyone the first five books you should read in business aren't thinking grow rich how to win friends none of that shit pick up every book by Robert Greene and embody that because that right there is going to give you all the stuff you need to understand about business and personal stuff. Okay. Um, I've actually not read any of his books. So really? Dude, 48 Laws of Power. Yeah. Um, it's on YouTube as a audio and I like, I like audio books better but um, the guy that did I'll, it... I'll get the Kindle version. I, yeah. I prefer reading so I'll get the Kindle. I'll get, get through it very fast as well. Get the concise version because it's it's more it like cuts down the stuff because Robert Greene's a historian, so like he historically places everything and tells you who everyone is and what they did, um, and why it works. Whereas right. the concise is just like here's the basics of what's going on, and how you apply it. Um, but with what Robert Greene does, there's a bit and there he goes strike out against someone bigger than you. And that's what you want to do. You want to take on someone bigger than you. And the reason is there's no way you can fail, because if they don't, if that person ignores you, it just proves what you're saying about them is true, and then people pay attention right. to you. 
But if they turn around and crush you, you get the sympathy and everyone acknowledges that you you had the balls to against this person. That's huge. 50 Cent did this against Jay-Z uh, when he released the album Power of the Dollar. He said something like, um, it's in the song How to Rob, I think it is. He disses Jay-Z about putting bullets into uh, mm. Jay-Z's new Bentley and robbing him. Jay-Z wrote a diss back. It was only one verse, so it goes, uh, I don't know who this guy 50 Cent is, but I'm a full dollar. And then just walked, just went on. But that one little bit of a snippet actually propelled 50's career right into the limelight. But like, just because he mentioned him, yeah. But not just that. Like he dissed. Um, if you've not heard it, listen to the song "How to Rob." It's funny, but it's a full three minutes straight ripping every single person in the industry. Like, um, <laughs> I'll check it out. He, one of my favorite lyrics to that is like, "I run up with, I run up on Timbo and Missy with a pound." I'm like, "You give me the cash, you put the hot dog down." That's literally how he disses them and walks up. It was like, uh, he said something about Mariah Carey in there. Mariah Carey threw a hissy fit and actually at the studio asked him to remove it because he was at Columbia at the time. And again, it's mm. his first album that was never released, The Power of the Dollar, arguably one of his best albums. But again, 50 Cent, really smart business guy. McGregor is doing the same thing by calling out everyone in the, industry, in the, uh, in the featherweight division and then in divisions above him. He's young too, right? McGregor's what, 25? 26. 26 is only he's a year older than me um and he is he is so incredibly talented as like positioning man um but he's also like uh it's the way he brings people in that's the interesting thing about it because if you look at him and gunner nelson who are teammates gunny's the exact opposite of um of connor connor likes to talk up the fights gunny kind of says no my opponent's good okay that's fine he can say he can take me to the ground beat me on the ground that's fine let him take me to the ground because uh, a lot of people don't know this, but Gunnar Nelson's like a world champion Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu who's like won the IBJJF championship so many times. It's a fucking monster on the ground. Um, mm. But again, that's down to positioning. The thing I asked you about Tesla, though, just to like jump into that, Tesla apparently developed the you know the whole death ray thing that everyone made fun of him about afterwards is after his death. Um, right. That was actually a real plan that he wants to give the world a nuclear deterrent in the sense that everyone would have a death ray, so it would avert war because every country has one. You know, so you can't really use right. it. Yeah, without. Ever. And um, what happened was the story is that he died in. He had a peaceful death, died in his sleep, in um, in his hotel room in New York. The theory is that the U.S. government, and again, if you check into this, you'll find out more. Prescott Bush. Uh, who was actually the arms, uh, who's George Bush's great-great-granddad and actually brother-in-law or son-in-law to Alistair Crowley. And again, this is a slow bloodlines and weird shit like that. Um, he actually was indicted in it, well, during World War II. He was indicted for uh, supplying Hitler with weapons. He was impeached and right. branded as a traitor. Uh, he saw Hitler and the Germans' weapons during World War II. But before that, he was trying to get his hands on Tesla's death machine. And uh, Tesla said, you're not getting, I'm not giving these to anyone, you know, it's going to die with me and never be made. Uh, and in his hotel room, apparently two secret service agents, like two agents had gone in there to speak to him and um, suffocated him, killed him by suffocation and uh, walked off, it just left him to die. So that's basically the theory behind it. And um, a lot of his work, a lot of his ideas, because Tesla never wrote his ideas down because he pictured them. Um, they mm-hmm. couldn't replicate them. That was like the beauty of it all. Tesla never wrote down his ideas so anyone else could steal them and make them. But 
And someone's got to do a film about that. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. Like if they, it'd someone be did, like, it'd be like a beautiful mind with Russell Crowe. It'd be a very similar kind of film. Yeah, we should write the screenplay someday. Let's do it. Make us uh, millionaires. <laughs> Just what did you guys do? Made a movie yeah. about Nikolai Tesla. Kaboom. But, yeah, so I bet I bet loads of people have that idea too. Like everyone's like, there, there's there's far bigger Nikolai Tesla geeks than us. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, um, he's got a huge fan base now. I'm actually writing a novel though, not based on Nikolai Tesla, but I'm actually writing a novel at the moment. Twelve chapters in. Fiction, right? Yeah, fiction. Uh, detective thriller. Sweet. Yeah, I, I still need to come up with a name for it though. Can't think mm. of, can't think of a name. I think uh, it's really weird because usually I don't write stuff until I think of a name or something. But I'm like this one, I just have to write the thing and then write the name at the end. And then come up with a name in hindsight. Yeah, yeah. kind of like a stand-up special. You always name it after the stand-up. Yeah, it's like um, has been recorded. See, I already know what my stand-up special is called though. I've only got 25 minutes worth of stuff, and I'm probably going to test it out in London. But uh, calling it different. Uh, it's either it's either going to be Fifty Shades of Brown because I wanted to take the piss out of Fifty Shades of Grey. Or variations of brown. <laughs> that, that would, I mean, the Fifty Shades of Brown would work really well because Fifty Shades of Grey is about to come out. Yeah. And yeah, the, the film is about to come out, so yeah. That's going to be a horrible movie <laughs> to me. It, like, to you reckon? I reckon the casting was done wrong for like the guy that plays uh, Christian Grey. That's about it. I've not, I've not read the book. I bought the book out of curiosity and I did, never got around to reading it. In fact, it's probably one of those boxes that I it left is, in London. It is. It is. I went through your... Yeah. <laughs> you have some very questionable books and films on your, on your hard drive that you left for me that I've had to go and delete. Um, not questionable mm. in the pornographic sense, just questionable because I, I saw um, the Katy, Sp uh, Katy Perry movie in there and I was like... I gotta delete this. Twilight, delete that. I'm like, he didn't really watch these. I know he didn't because it doesn't have a play, but I think he just downloaded them because he was curious or someone wanted to watch them on a movie night. The Justin, the Justin Bieber one's there too. I never got around to watching that either. Yeah, I was gonna say that one got deleted as well. I was trying well, I have to. I've seen Twilight. I'll learn up to that one. I've seen Twilight. Fair enough. What did you think of it? I didn't actually think it was that bad. See, I didn't think it was one. as bad as the flack it was getting, but here's my issue with it. And Joe Rogan nailed this on the head in one of his podcasts. There's a clip. You just type in Joe Rogan Twilight and YouTube is hilarious. He, he, he points out quite rightly that in what universe, even in a fantasy universe, right, does a guy who's like 300 years old ever go out with a 16 year old? Peace. And he, he makes a like funny joke out of it. And it's true that he's like, listen, he's speaking to Joey Diaz. Right? He's like, Joey, you're like 40, you're 45, right? Could you go out with a 16 year old? Could you even go out with a 20 year old? You'd be like, no, shut up, you stupid girl. What do you want to talk about? You want to talk about Instagram and Twitter? Like, I can speak like 10 languages and I used to navigate the seas using the stars. You want to talk to me about what? No, you shut up. There's no way that you could even get on with a girl like that. And yet there's this, you know, here's a story of some really, really old guy who's what I think he's 107 or 300 years old or whatever trying to go out with a teenager and it's just not realistic at all <laughs> that's one but the other one is uh it's funny you should mention twilight because you know how 50 shades of gray came about don't you it was fan fiction twilight oh okay i, I remember hearing something about that but i don't really know the full story yes yeah, so, so this this woman that was writing it she actually uh was on a fan fiction site and she was writing about um edward and what's her name Girl character from I know a real name I don't know her, Bella Bella that's it Bella and Edward were like um, like that's who Christian Grey and the girl is that that's like the characters that's who she based them on 
In fact, that when they were doing the movie deal, she, the author requested that it was uh, Robert Pattinson and Kristen, whatever her name is, um, Stuart. Yeah, they actually play the characters, but, you know, after the whole thing with the Huntsman where she cheated on him with the director, that kind of went up in flames. Mm -hmm. um, but that entire series was, like, basically, like, Fifty Shades of Grey was actually based on Twilight. So, yeah. Right. Interesting. That's uh, another uh, idea of how you can actually think creatively inside a box with something that already exists. Right. And then become a best-selling author and a millionaire of a night, essentially, in her case. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens with those guys because um, we'll see. I mean, it'll be, it, I think it's going to be... Uh, it's going to do well for the demographic that it's aimed at. I reckon it's going to do really well yeah. for the demographic yeah. it's aimed at. But we'll see mm. overall. I, just, I, I wonder if it's going to be a 12 or an 18, though. It will be uh, either a 15 or an 18. Yeah, 15, not 12, sorry. 15 most, or an 18. Most, you know what? No, it will be an 18. It will be an R-rated film for sure. Yeah. That's it will cool. be R-rated in American 18. Yeah, that will be quite good. But um, do you remember when like, you used to give a shit about what rating a movie was because you weren't old enough to go watch it? Yeah, I remember those days. I remember when 12A came out as a rating in England. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, man. Definitely. Like, what a dumb rating. Like, it was just like, oh, you don't have to have your parents, but you can if you want. That was what my rating was. I remember I snuck into an 18 movie when I was, like, 15, and they gave me the ticket. Yeah. I was like, really? Okay. I remember going to watch The Girl Next Door uh, when I was 14. It was, like, two months before I turned 15. Um, and The Girl Next Door with Alicia Cuthbert. And uh, me and my best friend were going again. And we both got ID'd, and we didn't have any ID on us. So mm. I had, this is like the earliest I can remember of selling someone. I had to convince them that I was 15 and old enough to sneak in to watch a movie that I really wanted to watch. It was good. Good times. How movies I, good. I'm too old. I'm not old. I'm too organized for that stuff. So what we would do is we would go on the listings and see what films are playing at the same time as the film we wanted to see, and then buy tickets for that one, but then just walk through the other door. <laughs> so um, I remember we saw all the Saw movies like that. Oh man, you sneaky um, yeah. bastard! Why didn't I think of that? Yeah. See, that's way. Yeah, because the, the the ticket guys are only at the like at the front gate. At least in the cinemas we went to, they didn't. They weren't in front of every single cinema door. There mm -hmm. was just one ticket guy, and once you got past him, you could walk into anyone you wanted, essentially. Um, and so yeah, we just buy tickets for something that was on at the same time, and yeah, walk into all the eighteen movies. Man, we saw a lot of films like that. Seriously, we've we've probably given so many bad tips to people of what to do. It's like this is how you do DMT. Yeah, this is a podcast on how not to live life. Pretty much, this is how you live life on good towns, but how you don't fuck up. You should you should call this podcast "Learn from Our Mistakes" or something like that. And then, Pretty then much. It gives you it gives you the free reign to just talk about whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. And if anything's bad advice, you can be like, "Well, we call it Learn from Our Mistakes." I think that's what I'm gonna call the next one. But that time we're just gonna com go completely off rails. I'll tell you what: if you fly back to London on your way back to the US and stuff, um, we'll sit down and actually do it live in the apartment, and then we'll video it as well. Sure. That'd be quite interesting. For sure, that sounds great. Yeah. The only thing is, I'll say there is one thing that I've uh, you called it, and I hate you for this and in a loving way I hate that you were right for this but um because i've got my pet cat with me chase he's adorable really cute yep. asshole he's not fat though that's the cool thing he's actually quite thin i'm like yes he's he's not got fat which is a good thing um mm. I, I can't leave him out at night when i'm uh, when i go to sleep so i have to put him away in his cage with his pillow and like turn him away and shit but it it makes having filming work really hard because if you put all your like I've got my full film studio here if I, I have to build it every time I want to do like a photo shoot or a video because if I don't he mm. wrecks it 
like he'll go up and just start scratching it and being an asshole yeah yeah I'm surprised he's not actually, of- I'm surprised he's not gone crazy today because usually when I'm on the phone uh, especially when I'm Skyping a new podcast you just podcast you'll just hear a meow everywhere I'm like, I hate you <laughs> I just hate you you're an asshole <laughs> but he's my wingman I can't help it he you know he gets the girls for me I love cats man cats are amazing yeah pretty much man alright so anyway just wrapping up real quickly because um, I don't want to keep you too long I know we had like a really good amount of time anyway uh, booked up for this but I just realized mm-hmm. it's 11.20 I haven't had anything to eat yet so I'm gonna say that, like there is one thing that I did want to ask you because um, again someone that I really really respect and I don't look up Thanks, to people. Man. Thank you. You're welcome. It's like I don't look up to people. I look across to people and see them as either equals or people that I aspire to be like and learn from what they do. Um, right. And you're one of them. Like, seriously, when I'm in London, I genuinely, like, put in my mind, like, this is a thought I've had twice, and don't get a big head about this, but I'm like, sometimes I'm walking around going, what would Dayan do if he was bored today? And I'm like, oh, he'll do this. Let's go do that then. Just instantly. Oh, thanks, man. That means a lot. Yeah, it's true. Um... But that's, so with that being said, and just the fact that we had a really good call today, it's like coming up two hours and a bit right now. Um, what would you say are like three things that you could help uh, someone that's either starting out or is an entrepreneur that's struggling? What are three lessons that you can tell them that will get them from their situation to a better situation or help them towards their success, like the mistakes that they wouldn't make? Hmm, three things. Okay. Well, one that comes to mind straight away because it's very recent in my head. Uh, I was interviewed for this uh, by a good friend, a mutual friend maybe, uh, Andy, who runs daygame.com. Oh, Yosha. Yeah. So he picked my brains recently on how to build social circles. Um, And so we had like a two-hour talk on just all these strategies on how to build a social circle and make friends fast. So I think the, the number one skill that you can learn is the ability to make friends fast and the ability to make connections. Um, let me give you an example of what's happened in Singapore as a result. I came to Singapore knowing no one, right? My first weekend here, just a, a random guy I met at the hostel, he had decided that he'd, uh, he wanted to spend one night at Marina Bay Sands, which is the top hotel in Asia. It's incredible. The views from the top are just like mind-blowing. And he decided to take me as his guest. So I got to experience this five-star hotel, which I think costs $600 a night or something. It's insane. Um, and yeah, I got to experience that just because I'd been really cool to this guy and, and struck a friendship with him at the hostel that I set up for the first few nights. Um, the second weekend, uh, a famous DJ from the UK, his name's DJ Fresh, happens to be friends with me. Um, he came along and we partied and he introduced me to all the DJs in Singapore. The third weekend, um, I bumped into the, uh, the Russian YouTube celebrity Vitaly, the YouTube prankster. Yeah. And wow. he invites me to his table at a nightclub and uh, buys me free alcohol and he spends like $10,000 on champagne. It's just me, him and two of his close friends, right? And then the fourth weekend, I go to a barbecue at a venture capitalist house and there's all of these like really high up people like the, the recruiter for Yahoo and it's all these really great people. And I'm not saying this to brag because I'm, I'm saying this to show you what's possible because this isn't something that I was born with, this skill of being able to befriend people and network like that. This is something I learned. Because up until the age of 15, I got bullied massively. I was socially awkward. I was never quiet, but I was the one that, like, I would always end up saying something stupid and get shut down. So I had no friends growing up, at least in secondary school. Primary school was okay, but secondary school was really bad for me. Um, And so these are all skills that I learned. 
and it's something that you can learn. So I think that the number one skill you should learn is the ability to befriend people and connect with people because if you can learn that, guess what? Even if you don't know anything about business right now or whatever it is you're trying to accomplish, you can meet the people and connect with the people that will help you on that journey. Right? If you want to learn MMA, you'll be able to befriend people in that industry who will teach you the best techniques and the best way to go about it. If you want to learn business, you'll be able to befriend people and network with people who will show you the ropes. They'll get you investment. They'll show you what to do. Um, so that's the number one skill to learn. Uh, yeah, that's what I'd say. And number two or three, what's the second or third one? Um, the, I mean, the second thing I would say is you've got to not look at what everyone else is doing. Um, a lot of my friends that I grew up with, they keep comparing themselves to everyone that, that's around them. They look at, you know, um, their parents as an example. My parents went to university, they got degrees, and therefore I think I should do this because my friends are doing this too. And if you want to live the life that you want to live, and, you know, that's a life that most people aren't going to have, right? All the, the life that we fantasize about is one where maybe we have financial freedom, maybe we have a a really smart and attractive girlfriend or wife, right? Uh, maybe it's uh, you are doing, I don't know, uh, charity work around the world, or maybe it's that you want to be famous or something. These are not typical lives. These are not the lives that everyone is just going to end up with. These are the kind of things you have to work for. And so if you want that, you've got to stop looking at what everyone else is doing because if you keep looking at what everyone else is doing, guess what? You're going to get the same results as everyone else. So don't be afraid to be nonconformist. Don't be afraid to drop out of university if you feel that that's the right thing to do. It might not be, but don't be afraid to do that just because everyone around you says it's a bad idea. Don't be afraid to start a business. Don't be afraid to go to a meetup.com event if your friends have said it sounds like a really lame idea to do. You've got to get rid of that notion and, and realize that you're going to be someone that's going to be doing a lot of things that no one else is doing and just be okay with that. Um, and the third thing is... The most important thing you can do is take action as fast as possible. It's no good reading lots of books and uh, trying to watch loads of video courses on any topic thinking that one day you're going to understand it so well that you'll be able to start doing it without making any mistakes. Um, the analogy I like to give is no matter how many books you read on surfing, the first time you get on a surfboard, you will fall over. right? No matter, no matter how many books or video courses or people you speak to about uh, MMA, Right when you spar with someone, you will get punched in the face. Yep. Right? I don't care how much you practice trying to dodge that shit in, in by shadow boxing in your own home. When you get into a ring and spar for the first time, you're going to get hit in the face. All right, so don't over prepare. The the best thing you can do is take action as soon as possible. Uh, one of the quotes that I got from Evan Pagan was "Start now, and don't deviate." Um, up until recently, I was one of those people that would think, "Okay, I want to bulk up and get fit, and I think I'm going to start." on Monday because it's always good to start at the beginning of the week. I'm not someone that likes to start on a Thursday because then that's midweek and then it's hard to track. That's nonsense. It's total nonsense. You can't think like that if you want to succeed at stuff. Um, you've got to start things in the same moment that you had the inspiration to think about them. Right? So, you know, there's, there's days when you'll be fed up with your life and you'll think, oh man, I need to sort out my finances. Oh man, I need to sort out my relationship. Oh man, I need to sort out my health. There's moments when you'll have that throughout the month, right? For me, typically, it happens on a Sunday. But there'll yeah. be times when you'll be reflecting on your life and you'll be fed up with the way things are going or you'll have something personal happen and you'll really be motivated to change it. But unfortunately, that motivation will... 
motivated the same way you were yesterday. So the, the secret is to start on improving those things the moment you have that motivation. The day you, you think, oh man, I really need to change my finances, that's when you've got to go leave your fucking house and buy the personal finance book that you said you were going to read next month. Do it now, right? When you say, oh man, I really need to sort out my relationships, work on that now. Do something proactively. Ask yourself the question, what is one action I can take right now to improve this area of my life? Um, and yeah, those would be my three tips, man. That's that would awesome. be the three. If I could only give three things to people, those would be it. Yeah, and those are all awesome tips. But thank you again for being here, man. Really, really appreciate you taking the time today. I know uh, you're out in Singapore having some fun. Guys, uh, if you enjoyed this, as always, comment, share, like, everything down below. Make sure you guys check out uh, Dayan's sites, which is, of course, biz, that's with B-I-Z-Z.co, Dayan.com. Of course, there's a link to that. And, of course, there's the Anderson Silva uh, highlight reel that his uh, cousin put together. That's where you're young. Check that out and let me know. And, uh, yeah, guys, check it out. Take care.